Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We are the boys in white and blue, and we are back for another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, and yes, very rainy, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And we've got another packed show for you today. We didn't bring a show out at the weekend because obviously the Whitecaps weren't playing. Canada had that first game, but I wanted to wait until both Canada's games were done. So we're going to talk about Canada's World Cup qualifying. We're going to look ahead to the Whitecaps and the playoffs. But before we get into any of that, I just want to to say, I know we've got a a lot of listeners out in the valley, out in the interior. And I just want to say, I hope you all stay safe. And if anyone needs any help at all, just flag it up and we'll put out anything that you need on our Twitter channels. I just hope no one's been too badly uh, affected with all the floods and the crazy weather. I mean, Zach, you're obviously out in Abbotsford just now. You were away in Edmonton. What was it like when you got back there today? Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of. Sur- I mean, all the images from before were surreal, but flying over it was kind of surreal. It took a few pictures and videos. Um, yeah, I, I I think you guys know this, but I live at the top of Watcom Road, which is where Castle Fun Park is. So I live like, yeah. up, up that mountain. I was yeah. wondering if you were going to get access to actually get up the mountain. Yeah, no, there's other there's other ways to get up where we live. So it, where we we're we're totally fine. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tragic. We have friends who have you know a farm on the, on the down in the prairie and the, the, the farmlands and stuff. And um, I have a yep. I have a fr- I have a youth a youth leader who works with me who's going to school in Abbotsford and was visiting family in Okanagan on a long weekend and. Uh, they're still stuck at a living at a stranger's home in hope. Wow. Oh, it's, it's really, I mean, as, as tragic and as um, concerning as all the loss of uh, loss and the, the chaos that's going on is it is um, been, there's been a lot of encouraging, like seeing people come together and support yeah. each other. There was so that on the news tonight. It was wonderful. To see. There, was, there was 300 people, I think up all night um, making sure that this pump station thing yeah. didn't, didn't succumb to the, the uh, the pressure and the amount of work it's needing to do or more flooding or whatever um i i had no idea that that area that got in flood, that got flooded in abbotsford was used to be a lake 
Me like neither. I had, did not. That's the problem, though. When you when you mess with Mother Nature a little bit, sometimes it's gonna bite back, and and that's what happened. They you, they gotta have make sure in the future they have enough pumps, like backup pumps, in order to make sure that doesn't fail. And so hopefully this is a wake up call because th- this is not the end of the stormy weather. I guess. Yeah, I mean this hasn't happened since I think 1990. They said, so yeah, the friend said, and then it's been 70. Or even 1990, it wasn't this bad. Supposedly it was like it hasn't been this bad for like 70 years. But yeah. yeah. That there's yeah this conversation of things could get worse and be more catastrophic because the lake could reform essentially yeah um is is very yeah is very conserving but yeah that's why the, I mean that's why this is the, the why they do all the farming out, out there is because uh they do all the farming there because uh the ground is so fertile right like it exactly it, it, yeah. all the nutrients and whatever and stuff so it totally makes sense. The the thing is, is the you know the whatever they, they I think they call it the Pineapple Express or whatever mm. that, that brought everything in. It has happened before. Um, it usually hits Northern California a lot, like uh, the, in, on the on the Oregon coast and California coast. Uh, rarely does it ever get to BC. Uh, like like Zach said, it's like seventy years. It's a really hit hard. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy stuff. A, a friend of Caitlin's family, she had just posted on on Facebook that her son and three-year-old grandson were stuck in the Coquihalla overnight, and yeah. now they haven't been able to get back to Vancouver yet, so they, they're staying just with, with strangers as well. So hopefully everyone is safe and just look after yourselves. And if, yeah. you, if yeah. you do want any help and you want to get word out of anything that you need, let us know, and we're more than happy to... To use my, our media channels to, to my, get that out. My nephew got in just in time. He was, he goes to school in Kamloops, and he got back to Abbotsford just in time before like all this stuff happened. He oh, wow. it, uh, otherwise he probably he would have been stuck in the Coca Cola as well. He, like within I think like a couple hours before they shut everything down or start stuff started breaking down. Well, when you see the damage, it's like I don't even know how you, you go about fixing that. And with well, the bad weather that's rolling in for the winter as well, it's like yeah, wow. I, but they have this. I guess you're right. It happens in California, but at least California they have better weather to yeah. fix things like that. But anyway, let's move on. But before we actually get into the football chat, we've got three packs of cards left to open. So we're going to get this finished this month. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Steve Panders, 2020 Christmas gift to, to Zach and myself. We're opening our packs of upper deck trading card packs and. There's 18 cards left to unveil, and I need 18 to complete the set. So I'm hoping for no doubles. Otherwise, this whole year has just been a waste of time. I'm sorry. No. (laughs) (laughs) My my first card is a card I need and that you just got recently that I wish I had gotten before you. Oh, it must be Mr. Chad Marshall. Do you want me to start it off? Yes, you can start. It It is Mr. Chad Marshall from the Columbus Crew. He is in my team now, so we'll yes, go over that in a future show. I'll just get you ahead of me and getting the cards opened. Oh, ho, ho. well, this is very fitting. Since we're going to be chatting MLS playoffs in parts two and three, the man that led his team to a playoff spot didn't look it was going to happen, but it did. He's wearing his Colorado Rapids jersey. It's Pablo Mastroeni. Oh, yeah, I got that one. How's it going? Hey, uh, Michael, who did Chad Marshall replace in your starting 11? I think it was Leo Gonzalez. It was he's one of the Gonzalez's. He's a left back. Oh. You have Mar- oh, it wasn't him then. Marvel winner Omar Gonzalez. It must be Omar Gonzalez. 
So you kept Marvel win? Yes. I like Marvel Mar- win. Mar- Mar- Marvel wins. Marvel wins got speed, man. He's a, he's a tough guy. You're big Marvel fans. The, the thing is, you know what's going is, on about Marvel. You know, he likes the tough physical center backs, and you got Chad Marshall and Marvel win now, and, and I think that's why you picked for that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Um, I like. My, I like. I like my men physical at the back. My next card. Okay, I might. I might take Leo Gonzalez, or, or sorry, I might Omar. Take Omar, Gonzalez, Omar Gonzalez. My next card. I, I might have the same pack as you had before. My next card is. Uh, former TFC player, a former Montreal Impact player, but at this point he was a uh, forward for the Houston Dynamo. Dominic Oduro. Well, I've got a Houston Dynamo goalkeeper. It's my my Tally Hall. Oh yeah, nice. I got that one. My next one is a draft. Looks like a draft card, and it is Michael's favorite draft card. Will Bruin. Current founder, Will Bruin. Ah. I've got a guy that I'm almost certain was the name of Craig Ferguson's robot in his late night chat show series. He's wearing can... TFC colours. It's Jacob Peterson. No, it wasn't Jacob. <laughs> it was Jeff. Pe- Jeff. I think Peterson was right, I think. Oh, no. It's a double. Oh, wait. Well, you're, you're able to have doubles. It's not a double, I don't oh. think. It's uh, He's wearing San Jose colours. But he is, uh, it's a, his Real Salt Lake card. It's Arturo Alvarez. Oh. Well, I've, sure. got a, I've got a super draft card. You'll always find me in Perry Kitchen at parties. Oh, I got that one. That's a good one. Oh, this is, wow. Okay. Uh, this is one I do not have, but you have. It's also from Real Salt Lake. It is Ned Grabovoy. Grabovoy. Oh. I've got a guy wearing New York Red Bull colours, but LA Galaxy, he flies through the air because he has wings. It's Juan Pablo Angel. Oh, yeah, he used to be my starting 11. He was a guy, actually, that I always hoped the Whitecaps would make a trade for because he's that big kind of target guy that I love. Yeah. Uh, My last card is one I also believe I need. I'm just double-checking. And it is... uh... (laughs) Uh, Portland Timbers, Eddie Johnson. Oh, well, my last card is a guy that he's wearing real colours as well. I'll just say Fabian Espindola. (laughs) I don't know if he'll stay in my house for very long or if he'll just be away. (laughs) He's averse to Vancouver, I think, but anyway. But that is our cards for for this week. We'll get into the football chat now, and we're going to start things off in this part on the international stage, and we will explain why Zach's voice sounds terrible, because he has, he's experienced ice-cold conditions in the ice teca. He's been... It's Estadio Ice Teca. I actually love that name. I don't know who came up with it, but I think it's genius. It's, that's the kind of thing, I like that wordplay, it, it really, really ticks the boxes for me. But you've been singing your heart out for the red and white, Ali Le Rouge and all of that stuff. You were through in Edmonton for Canada's amazing two games there. Two games, two wins, six huge points, tens of thousands of people in attendance, five pitch invaders, um, lots of snow... Basically, 
Not not a bad five-day spell for Canada. Finishing 2021, top of the octo. Not sure many people saw that coming. We'll delve into some of the ins and outs of the matches, but before we get into that, Zach, just how was this experience for you? In terms of fans, infrastructure, just atmosphere, the game, just everything. How how have you found these last five days? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was a it was a real pleasure. I mean, the the trip for for me was well, it's just I, something I've missed traveling to go watch football. I mean, I've obviously been to the island, which which is nice, but um, I haven't been to Edmonton in a while. I haven't experienced snow in Edmonton for like I don't know since twenty fifteen. Um, and uh no it was great because it was a family trip like it was kirk and i were going kirk turned 13 at the end of october and it was part of his birthday gift to go and um so that <laughs> so that part of it was like just like it was going to be this trip was going to be special no matter what and then it was like um it's kind of like a voyage voyageurs like uh like reunion like a school reunion kind of thing where everyone like there was a lot of people from like all over the place and um, uh, so tons of people from like a bunch of people from Vancouver so it was great to connect with so like Slamo and hopefully uh, none of them drove uh, we'll get to that Uh, that. I have a feeling Slamo probably drove no no. yeah Slamo that's who I would have guessed I I asked Slamo about that because he was very well known for his um vehicle travel traveling trips in the past and yes i used to work with his wife so i've yeah. heard some yeah. tales <laughs> yes and well, let's not go into those um, but, <laughs> but yeah he has enjoyed, he paid the fines now is it? <laughs> he enjoyed he used to enjoy that but i don't think uh i don't but the way he explained it to me is he doesn't he, he doesn't have the it's not as much fun to drive for those lengths of period anymore like without stopping like yeah. he used to um, so the plane suited him well. So he was on my plane, Ozzy. Uh, you remember Ozzy? Yeah. Um, um, uh, him and his daughter were on our plane. Um, I, I saw photos actually of them on his Instagram. So that was yeah. cool to see. It was yeah. So it was great. And then we, Kirk and I, actually ended up like staying with Slamo for the first couple of nights on and uh, uh, he had a, like a pillow couch, which was very uh, generous of him. And so we got to walk to the game together and hang out and uh, do a nice. bunch of stuff around town um not a bunch around town but a, a couple things together which were great and it just yeah made it a little more special and then people from everywhere like people from calgary obviously um some locals in edmonton we know real well a ton of people from toronto uh people from montreal who i didn't know who i got to know which was really nice um same thing which same thing with uh, ontario um but then like from bank like from the from bc there was uh dan and joanne were there um and uh the one person who drove is i don't know if you guys know him his name is jeff wallace really long time voyager great guy lives in nanaimo um goes specific as much as he can but um yeah he drove and he was so he was the one who picked us up at the airport and like was like so, so generous and gracious to chaperone or chaperone to chauffeur a bunch of us all over the city and hung, and we all just hung out and stuff which was great um but he um yeah i don't know how he's how he's getting home because his his his, pass, his his uh passport I think is at home and so I don't think he can just drive through the states like is being recommended for some people. Oh, uh, um, so I don't know what I don't know what he's gonna do, but um, oh, wow, he's he's I gotta I should check in with him. He's already left, so we'll we'll see what happens. 
Um, but um, and then uh, there was uh, there was tons of other people. I'm, I'm gonna oh um, don't name check them all. It's like we've got oh, no, a no, show. Well, well, a couple of them. Uh, so uh, for the second game, like um, Claudio was there, Naz Catania was there, which was great. Um, Rasta, the dude who you know originally formed the, the South Side, yeah, uh, he brought his son, which was awesome. Um, yeah, oh, I can list them all. Chris Chris, Chris Andersby was there, which was amazing. Um, uh, Adam. Uh, Adam H was there. For, okay, no more so, listing. Let's get on okay. talking um, about the game. So no, it was so. Anyways, yeah, it was. It was just. Bril- it was. It was brilliant. It was. It was really, really awesome. So, I'll I'll post this one to you first, Zach, and then we'll we'll get Steve's thoughts on it. So obviously, a lot's been made of these games in Edmonton. The advantage of the snow, the weather conditions. Now we did a little bit on one of the extra podcasts, just talking about the whole experience and stuff like that. But there were some things I didn't cover because I thought, we'll we'll wait to this. And one of them was that pitch because it looked absolutely atrocious on Friday night and it looked even worse on Tuesday night. Now, for all my complaints, yeah, they got six points, so it was job done. I, I don't think it suited Canada, though. It's like, yeah, they won, I think they could have won no matter where they played. I'm I'm not confident in the team's abilities just now. Do you think it was a, a big advantage having that pitch, having those conditions? Because it seemed to be more of a leveller against Costa Rica. I think it probably did give them a bit of the upper hand for Mexico. Um, you know, uh I I, I think um oh I think Costa Rica was fortunate. I think, you know, the couple crossbars and I think that's more like a two, three nil kind of kind of game. Um, but I mean, uh, we were talking about it. Slamo, I think Slamo said it like he, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that Ochoa handles the ball, uh, on that shot from Alistair Johnson, uh, on a, on a, in a warmer climate in a BC place, as an example, I don't think he, uh, parries it that way or play maybe even plays it that way. Um, in a, in a warmer, warmer climate. So I, I, I really do think it, it was, I think it was an advantage. Um, I think it did help them. Um, dude, me- the Mexico, so the Voyagers were encouraged to meet the team bus. So for the Costa Rica game, we met the bus, the well, bunch of people there meet to meet the bus. Canada's bus pulled in, pulled out of the way, waited a few moments, allowed the Costa Rica bus to go in first, which was nice. So people could jeer the, the Costa Rica bus. And then the Canada <laughs> bus came through and everyone, you know, we were singing, there was smoke and chanting and whatever. Um, I, uh, Kirk and I didn't make it because we were taking public transit uh, to the to the second game. But what what Slamo told us happened was Canada bus pulled in again, pulled out of the way, and then waited, and waited, and the Mexico bus team did, the Mexico bus didn't even arrive. So finally the Canadians were like we got to get in. They went in, oh. and uh, Mexico then you know the clock goes up for the warmups. Mexico didn't come onto the field until about twenty five minutes left on that warm up clock. Wow. I think the things we heard were that Mexico petitioned FIFA to have the game canceled or postponed or, or not canceled, postponed because they didn't think the field conditions were were appropriate. So it it like played on their it played on their minds. So I think that was the big thing was the mental psychological aspect because whether it, it gave Canada an advantage or not, and I genuinely don't know how much it it, it did, Steve. But psychologically, I think it definitely played on the Mexican minds. It well, definitely if, played in the media's minds when you saw some wanna, of the things coming out. I want to revert back to the part where Zach talked about that first goal, the way 
the way that ball skipped off the turf does not skip off a grass or even uh after turf in in like uh in the bc place like the turf at bc place it won't skip off like that so it totally uh uh took a caught him off guard ochoa on that um that's number one and and you could tell as well that it's good they came prepared because I saw a number of times when they had to put uh, the Vaseline on their lips and everything like that because that Edmonton air is dry and it will play like you, you don't think it's going to affect you that much. But I've had instances where in the summertime I've been there and I can't even open my lips because the, it was so dry. Like I think they get chapped so quickly. So those kind of features is, uh, in addition to the cold, I think that you're right. It plays a huge effect on their mind. And they were probably a little bit uh, timid initially. Mm. And that's why... Yeah, because they seem to come to... more into it later on. I think they got if, a bit used to it. Because if you, if you look at it, especially the beginning of the game and other parts of the game, Mexico wasn't able to play out of the out of the back like they normally do. And because they were... They, Canada wouldn't let them, whether it was the way they played or whether it was the weather or the turf. But it definitely affected their game. Like, normally, they're able to play out of the back easily. Yeah, I think as well, like, I know when I've been, like, really, really cold, it gets to a point that you just don't get any colder. You've just reached your limit as to to how cold you've got, no matter what the temperature does. So I think the Mexicans probably got a bit used to it towards the end. Yeah, I think, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think the, I think the psychologically and the, and the, and the pitch, like, on the, the first goal were, were bigger issues because, when you're when you're an athlete and you're running and you're doing stuff, you like you you warm up or you stay like you stay warm, especially in a game like football where you're moving so much. I know it's different, but in the stands, like it was neither game felt nearly as cold as they actually were. Like the well, minus, uh, the minus Edmonton, one, Edmonton's not cold. Uh, like if it's the same temperature here in Vancouver, you're gonna feel way colder here in Vancouver than Edmonton. Like people in in that kind of temperature, or maybe five degrees warmer, they wear t-shirts and light jackets. They don't. They don't need to wear like the heavy uh, winter clothing in that weather. So for for us, where it was minus one against against Costa Rica, and it's it's not the same as Portland, Michael, but it's a little bit like Portland, where it's the stadium's down in the ground a bit. So I was in the lower part of the section, so I didn't get any. You didn't get any wind. So oh. I came. I came with five two layers two two layers of pants. And five layers on top, and, and you I were warm. And I, I well, I took off my winter, big winter jacket yeah. so I could be wearing this red top. Yeah, and be he was, red. He like, was down to his tiny whiteies by the end. No, 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 no. There's other people who did that, but not me. Um, and but it, it was, and I, and I, in the the Friday game, I just like I don't need my gloves. Like I was putting my pockets, and like it was, it was, it was fine. Yeah. Now the Mexico game, I wore two pairs of socks. I forgot to wear the second pair of pants, which I should have. But again. I took off my big winter jacket because I had these four layers on and you're singing and you're moving and whatever. And it's fine. I wore my gloves most of the game mm. and my toes, my like your feet were a little bit cold. But that's because there was like snow in the, you know, in the section everywhere. But, but it was not like you weren't because you were with so many other people. It, it, it wasn't cold. It was not like freezing. Like I can't stand here. Like I'm just here because the game's on. And once it's gone, I'm going to run out of here. And like, it wasn't yeah. like that. I've been I've been in in Edmonton in in December in minus thirty six and while you have to make sure your eyelids don't freeze up, um, other than that you, you're not as cold if it was like again example minus thirty six here minus well, thirty six here would just kill you. Yeah, well, Steve, you remember I when I'm growing up living in in Regina for four years, yeah. I remember temperature like that where you like you'd walk outside 
and you'd breathe and like every single hair in your nose would freeze. Yeah, would freeze. exactly. You just got to make sure your eyelids don't freeze. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and then um, with also the, the way the temperature, the, I think it, the, the cold, especially the second game, affected the turf even more. You're right. Because I think it froze the turf and you had that layer of snow on top of it. And that, I think that was the biggest effect. But it, it didn't seem as slippery as it as you think it would be. No, that that did surprise me. I I just thought though, like the look of the pitch, yeah, was wasn't a good look. It's yeah. just I I think when you're talking but, about Canada being a, a top nation in Concacaf, and I know but, folk uh, have pointed to how shitty the pitches have been in like Jamaica and Latin I'll America and stuff. I'll take I'll I'll take the embarrassment of the three points. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. ultimately, as I was moaning about it on Twitter, I did say that ultimately, if they come away with two wins, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is the big thing. Like, these games will be remembered forever as these historic moments, right? Like, most of the games are going to be played in Toronto. Some are going to be played in Vancouver. But forever, this, you know, this massive win over Mexico, especially, will have taken place, you know, in the tundra, in the ice, in the Estadio Azteca, and, like, everyone will remember. And, like, it's legend will grow over time what happened there i also think like and we've talked about this before and it, it i i i don't understand why people waste so much time talking about uh you know where the game is and where yeah it's i'm, to, I'm, I'm kind of, i'm yeah. kind of tired of it too I mean, at this point i'm tired of it too i just want them to win the games if they yeah. have to play the next two people, games in toronto need, that's fine people yeah. need to channel that energy into more positive things supporting Canada or supporting their local club or whatever. Absolutely, and we'll we'll come to that at the end of this part because there's murmurs as to, to where this US game is going to be and it ain't going to be here by the looks of it, but we'll, we'll come to that. So, I mean, the, the, everything got off to a great start on Friday. Jonathan David, 57th minute winner, 1-0 over Costa Rica. So we, we won't go into that too much. Um, the The Mexico game. Let's just get into that right away. What, what's your overall thoughts on, on how that played out, Steve? Um, exhilarating. I had a great soundtrack while I was watching that game. Um, um, I, uh, people, I mentioned to these the guys, I, I, I started listening to music while I was watching the game and K-pop came on. And within, I think, 10, 15 seconds of hearing that song, they scored a goal. Then I go, I might as well, me being my superstitious self, I go, I'm just going to keep playing K-pop at this point. And and, I kept playing until it. they reach Qatar. <laughs> no, not until they reach Qatar, but definitely for that game. And it just kept working and they scored the second goal. And then the one time I it, it my computer buffered is when Mexico scored. Uh, uh. Honestly, it, it, my, my computer buffered and then and the thing didn't load up and Mexico scored. And I just made sure I had things lined up, ready to go on different pages if I needed to. So I, I but, think you should get in touch with BTS and just let them know, and we'll get them on the show. Funny enough, get, I didn't get listen to that many, podcast. I never listened to that many BTS songs. It was actually other groups that I was listening to. Um, but overall thoughts, uh, it's I was nervous as hell. I just wanted them to win. I didn't want them to lose, really. I, but I, I really wanted to. I go if they get these three points, they're in such a great position. Yeah. No matter what happened, I didn't even know what happened in the U.S. Jamaican game until after the game was over. So I didn't even realize they were had a chance to be top of the table, but I just wanted them to be in. A, and it wasn't even a matter of getting ahead of Mexico because Mexico is gonna Mexico is gonna finish probably top. They got four home games left. In I the, don't in know. The, in, 
I, I, I Although, think yeah, will. I mean, four, four games at home is a big, big advantage to them, unless their stadium gets shut. Which hey, they won't. could they could they could pick up Benny Sartini if they wanted to and, and bring him in. I was going to say, does Tata Silva job? I haven't been at the moment. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I I tw- I tweeted out I would not be. Apparently, it's a five million dollar payout if they get rid oh, of wow. him. Yeah, which is a, a big decision to make. But I saw I saw somebody on um, uh, that was talking about the Mexican team, and they were talking about that he was brought in basically to get them uh, like a uh, a knockout game win, like advance in the knockout rounds. And the, a lot of people feel that this team doesn't have the talent to make it even to the knockout if they make the World Cup. Well, apparently like the they, first question, Tim, after the game uh, in Edmonton on Tuesday was. I'm paraphrasing, but do you feel that this team is worthy of wearing the Mexican colors? Was basically what the question was. Like, like do what they have the question? A, do they have the heart to? I heard it was like, do they have the heart to wear yeah. the Mexican colors? Is and, and and how did he answer Har's question? <laughs> the, the, you know what the headline was? It was a uh, uh, on in Mexican newspaper. It was Snow uh, Snow White and the Eleven Dwarves. Oh, fantastic! And, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're calling Tata the Snow White out of them all. Right? Oh, I, so, d- I thought Canada were the Snow White. Oh, I'm, I'm assuming uh, maybe that's I don't know. I, I, well, I thought the, either the, way, the Eleven Dwarves would have been the Mexican player. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, um, there was uh, people waiting for the Mexican bus at the end of the night and shouting his, uh, abuse at him. I mean, he wasn't there, but he shouting oh, abuse towards Mexican the bus. Fans? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, to, to be fair though, in conditions that cold, that's probably the one time you would welcome bags of piss being thrown at you. Well, well I was wondering. Warm. I was actually going to ask Zach: Were there any uh, yellow snowballs thrown at the Mexican players? Uh, no, but no. There was, okay, because that that would have been the equivalent of, of, of yeah. bags of piss, yellow snowballs. Yellow snowball. No, there was a <laughs> halftime. There was a halftime announcement about. Um, inappropriate chanting yes because the second half started late because of it they were in stage one i don't know if that was if that was convenient everyone everyone in the everyone in the voyager circus like what what we what we didn't do what what i was like guys i i'm pretty sure that i know we didn't hear anything but i'm pretty sure this is about the mexican supporters and has nothing to do with any of us was i not getting the blame this time for for (laughs) two things that disappointed me from the from the night one I wanted to see snowballs thrown at the Mexican players as they took oh, the, corners. Oh, there was. Oh, I never saw those then. Yeah, there was. Okay, I'm friend. not disappointed with that. No, and I, the fact I, all I, the Canadian I, guys were wearing gloves. If you're that, if you're used to those conditions, you don't wear gloves. Uh, I, I mean, I can respect them wearing gloves. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I like that. I've never seen a goalkeeper have a hood up. But if you think of it, at one point. If, if you think of it, I think they were wearing black gloves, all of them, right? Yeah. Black gloves are ideal because you're wearing black uniforms. Oh, I know. It, it looks sinister it, as hell. No, but it would it'd also be difficult to catch handballs, uh, find oh. out handballs and call handballs on them. So it might be a good thing that they wear that when they wear the uniform. Right. The, the action then. But we're not going to break everything down minute by minute, et cetera, et cetera. But talk about the big talking points. So Kyle Lahren... Two minutes into first half stoppage time. We've whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to talk about Daniel's tackle? Yeah, that's what I was going to think. Oh, that, that, I think that, yeah. that set the tone for the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. He got pulled off before half time. But it was apparently because he felt a quote. He had. He came into this with an injury, is what they were saying. And he yes. apparently shouted over at the bench that he was feeling tightness in his quad. I still think it was better to take him off because he was going to get sent off. Now, I loved his physicality early on and the tackles. If there was VAR 
they may have looked at it a little bit differently. But you've, as soon as you get booked out early in a game, you are walking a tightrope. But it was also, it was after, wasn't it? It was after, if my memory serves me correctly, it was after a couple horrible tackles from Mexicans. Oh, that, yeah. That were, went uncalled. Like, the, 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 I mean. The, it started point, very physical. The, the talking point of the match, one, one of the key talking points of the match is, uh, and I know you tweeted about this, Michael, but when we've talked about this all along, is how, like VAR was created for CONCACAF. And so having no VARs seems counterproductive. And two, um, this referee was horrendous. Yeah, yeah he was he horrendous. was basically he wasn't calling the same plays on uh, Mexico that they were happening to Canada basically. He was, I'm he sure was, he was happy to be out there in the cold. Yeah. There was there was uh, one play in the first half where Richie Larea was fully pulled back. Like I thought that pulled, was the second half. The uh, second half. Oh, maybe that, that was the second half. Yeah, maybe it was the yeah. second half. Anyways, Richie Larea gets fully pulled back. He yeah. plays advantage. There's not much of an advantage. I think it was Alfonso. Went to the ref and like, where's the call? And the ref's like, I played advantage. Yeah, but where's the yellow? Where's exactly. the yellow, though? Yeah. He was awful. But there was he that was taco on Fonzie as well. Yes. Like, like in American football, that would have been a 15-yard penalty. Like that's, a, that's, a horse, <laughs> that's a horse collar tackle, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Daniil was walking a tightrope. And I think it was better to have taken him off because I don't think he was seeing that. If he had stayed on, I don't think he saw that game out. I think there was, I think there was definitely danger of that. However, um, I was really happy that he got to play, and I was really. I, happy. I really liked his physicality, Ellie, yeah. and I do like that. I, I'm more a guy like I would send my team out. It's really old-fashioned Scottish method of rotational fouling. So in the early stages of yeah. a match, you take your turn about kicking guys. So you get a couple of kicks each before the cards start coming out. Yeah. But as soon as a card comes out in the 12th minute, the referees then set a stall out. And then everyone is on edge well, after that. But that's the problem is then he... <laughs> well, they should be, yeah. Except yeah, yeah. he then, he initially did and then he just backed away from that. Because I think he knew he was going to get in a situation where this was going to finish like... 9v9 or something possibly and yeah there could certainly have been a, if there was VAR with a few of the flashpoints I think there could have been a few cards yeah, issued sure. out but let, let's get to the, the goal then Kyle Larn, 2 minutes into first half stoppage time we have touched on it and as Steve mentioned the, the pitch helped with the bounce the the cold hands from Ochoa probably meant that he parried it a different way but Larn's and, anticipation to come in to finish that was fantastic yeah, that, that's a goal scorer's goal that yeah. to know when to attack the net and everything, but also the pressure up top uh, to cause the to, uh, cause like a giveaway and uh, Alistair Johnson's uh, shot oh. from distance. It, it was you don't expect, but I think that they had a game plan to do that stuff because you saw some shots before that too from distance to test the goalie. Yeah, so I think that might I think have been they need part to of the do it plan. more though. To be honest, yeah. I don't think they did it yeah. anywhere near enough. Exactly, I agree. But to to go in with that lead at that time you've already got an unhappy Mexican team out there and we should actually I meant to mention this earlier they couldn't train or they didn't want to train on the pitch because of the cold and they couldn't get in any indoor training because a, a girls team would not cancel their training to let them I, get in I believe, it was, I believe it was U9 yes I, I, I saw 
I saw a lot of uh, comments, you know, the Steve, the classic, uh, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> I mean, that is fantastic. It was, it was, that's brilliant. And like, we've put up with so much crap down in these countries for years. And it's like, yeah, a little bit of payback. I would say that if Canada makes the World Cup, they should fly the uh, United oh, team yes. out to Qatar. But then I realized it's Qatar. Maybe the, they wouldn't be allowed in the Yeah, team, and it's so a girls team that, as well. So yeah, yeah, that, it wouldn't be I, a probably good thing. I actually sat last night and I read rules and regulations for the country because I was like, oh, it's looking good for Canada and Scotland. I have to go. And then I, by the time I'd finished reading that, I was like, you know what? I don't think I do have to go. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of concern. Yeah. So one now at halftime, Kyle Lahren, what a, what a year he has had. 13 yeah. goals for, for the national team. It's just, you, you've got the luxury. Like Lahren started this one instead of David. And I think that's the luxury now that Canada's got. You've got two quality strikers that are doing the business over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And you, you just start one of them. You've got the other one on the bench in case you need him. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, exactly. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm just I was, using after. I was, uh, I was going to say that the, like, it, it, I know that uh, they kind of play two up top, but with, uh, I feel like with Alfonso Davies as one of the two, he's almost like a, a ability to have the ability to roam wherever he wants. Mm. So really they're playing one up top for me. And it's either going to be Laren or David. I think down the road, they might go with two and put Davies somewhere else. But with, with Davies applying that pressure up the, up the pitch, um, he's almost like sometimes he's on the right, sometimes he's in the left, sometimes he's in the middle. He can go anywhere he wants, really. Uh, okay, maybe this is a comment for later, and uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this later, Michael. But yeah, let's talk about we'll talk about Alfonso Davies later. Let's talk about that later. But on the uh, there's one thing I want to say about the goal, and you you kind of touched on it briefly there, Michael. But you can't say enough about Alistair Johnson, right? Like this is obviously he is not the poster boy for anything really like in the, in the public realm, right. In the, in the, 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 the mainstream consciousness of this team, he is, most people don't know him, you know, uh, one of, one of our friends, one of our friends, Ed, Edwin, uh, Leung saw, ran into four guys on the, on the street and they all had Bella Clavas. Like Fonzie was one of them. He had a Bella Clava and all you could barely see was his eyes, you know, cause he didn't want to be recognized. Alistair Johnson could have walked around everywhere in Edmonton, and wearing a Team Canada jacket, I don't think I would. No, I he could have. He could have wrote. He could have like my old joke, worn yes. a T-shirt that says "I'm Alistair Johnson." Exactly. Exactly. And he, nobody would have known who he was. And yet, and yet, here's this guy who is like from League One Ontario, now playing in MLS, who wins the ball in midfield. He's he's playing this center, uh, left. I think it was left center back role in a back three. Who comes up the field to win the to win the ball, and then has the gumption to go and the conviction to go and shoot at the end of the half to give it to give it a go? Like, well, that's, that's, fun- let's let's uh, you forgot to mention in his biography that he's born in Vancouver as well. Well, yeah, because his dad played VMSL for Westside. There, you, there you go. His legend grows, but I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, Laren, right place, right, uh, right proper place at proper yeah. time, a good technique, good finish. Um, but I mean, Alistair Johnson, I mean, it's, it's great to see what he's done. It's great to see how John Herdman has used him and has gotten so much out of him. It's very, very, it's, it, this is how encouraging it is. My son is like, Hey dad, I brought him, I bought him for my team on FIFA. 
that's playing in the second or third division and he's doing great and I love him and I'm glad I bought him and now I saw him make this big play and I'm like that's I mean that's I don't know it's meaningful in our fa- meaningful in our family well our, our good friend Squiz did a Twitter poll today that I retweeted and he said it's time for an impossible question who is the Canadian national team's breakthrough performer of 2020 and he, he gave three options Alistair Johnston Stefan Estacchio and Tejon Buchanan. And I voted for Johnston because Tejon, we've seen what he can do in, in MLS. Estacchio's overplaying in Europe. But for me, when you're talking about real breakthrough, as you just said there, Zach, Alistair Johnston's basically come from nowhere to establish himself as a regular starter in a team that looks like they're heading to uh, the, the World Cup. And a key contributor in that team as well defensively and offensively i i kind of disagree with that though i i think it's buchanan really the major breakthrough like from i i don't think he was that well known going into this year either um uh, but i do feel that alistair johnson has really come like while we had a little knowledge of buchanan i think we 100 agree with you that we had no information about johnston mm-hmm. and when they were putting him in those early games against bermuda and the cayman islands and the back three I was going, isn't he a right back? Isn't he mm. supposed to play like out there? Why is he doing in the like? And he's just, he's basically performed so well. He's like the uh, Canada version of Jake and Whiskey right now with the switch to center back in the back three at a different level. Zach, Zach's giving me a dirty look on there. Yeah, if you could not sully uh, Sir Johnson's name with that comparison. Well, I'm just saying, like a a, 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 white, a right back that's moved into the center, like I said. Right. Jake, Jake's and, done and, well since yeah, I thought he's, that move. But, but Jake's yeah, Jake's done well, but Jake's never going to play for the U.S. No, the, uh, but I'm talking about at MLS. I'm I'm I'm, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm also saying that Candace, Vancouver's I, not going to accomplish I, what Canada is. I I agree with Michael's vote um, because uh, yeah, I think he has been that breakthrough player, and I think he, I mean he's the one who broke that game open. Yeah, um, in, in such a powerful way. And I would say that once Vancouver win back to back to back MLS Cups, Jake Nerwinski will be in that US men's national team setup. Let's get to the second goal. Larn again. And uh, talked about Estacchio there in that poll. What a delivery from that free kick. It was perfect, but also Larn's finish as well. The celebration was wonderful. Sam throwing himself into the snow. I loved that. It was, it was. I mean, the stadium erupted. But yeah. it, what, what a goal! And it, you're in dreamland at that point, Steve. Yeah, Estacchio. A lot of people didn't like. He's another guy like Johnson Estacchio that uh, Herdman has. Uh, he didn't really have to convince that much of Johnson, but Estacchio had options. Other uh, like uh, with Portugal, I believe it was. Yeah, and he he brought him into Canada, and he's been he's been essentially their best midfielder, the central midfielder. He basically runs the show in the midfield, and and it controls the pace of play. And uh, like, and we were finally discovering how well he is on free kicks as well. Like, I think he had a game earlier. Was it the Gold Cup or something like that? I can't remember where he had a great finish off a goal. I, I I'm drawing a blank. Maybe it was somebody else. I'm not sure, but. He, he's been fantastic off the dead ball situations and a great performance there. Laren, same thing, great timing. Didn't make sure he wasn't offside and and just just guided the ball into the net. And obviously, uh, like you're right, Sam in the snow. I think he probably got more airplay than uh, Kyle Laren in his yes. goals. It was it was beautiful. I, I mean, but that goal went in, Zach. 
actually, I'll, I'll ask Steve this before I go to you, Zach. But now go went in, Steve. Did that ease your nerves at all? Well, for sure. Okay, uh, that's bit, good. But, but I also then realized right away that that's the worst lead in, in sports. Oh, yes. Dr- Our old league. cliche. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what was the mood in the stadium like at, at 2-0, Zach? Oh, did, I mean, did you feel it was job done? Uh, yeah, 2-0. Totally felt it was job done. Um, that, I mean, obviously the end was... Um, a little bit, uh, well, it was, ner- it was more than nervy. I mean, with the yeah. save that, that came out, but uh, I no, mean, that goal was the, the 52nd moment, minute, so from 52 to 90, yeah. it was in complete control and comfortable, oh, even though Mexico yeah. had a lot more of the ball. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, we, I mean, like in the old days, Michael, everyone was going bloody mental and like losing their mind, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I there was no there was no concern over losing the results. Until Mexico equalized, but yeah. or not H- Hector Herrera, ninetieth minute, two-one, squeaky bomb time, and then it, it seemed to be well. Obviously, Mexico turned it up, so you've got to give Mexico credit because they they really went for it. I don't know what happened to the Canadian defence. It's like all all the good work that they had just done for the yeah. previous ninety minutes went out the window. And it was it was like watching some of the old Whitecaps defensive performances from from the past in NBS. Yeah, <laughs> it was like Whitecaps in LAFC in those horrific two six games, yeah. but or KC or one of those games. Yeah, they just couldn't clear the ball, and then every ball Mexico seemed to send forward hit the right person. Yeah, like it was like the, it was like the old Mexican teams of the past, like or the last couple of years that. Just anything they hit for, and they were they were just launching the ball for it. They weren't even trying to build the ball for it slowly or through possession. They were just launching it, and it would hit anybody who was there. I think they kind of just dropped too far back. It was like uh, watching and- me trying to defend on FIFA. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's just they were so under the cosh. But Milan Borjan, oh. that save on the goal line, which initially I thought it had crossed the oh, line. I- I, 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 I did too. Oh, I, I thought it was in, and when I saw the ref called no go, I was like, again, this is why they should have VAR. Yeah, but I'm, I'm happy about it. Because I thought, oh, this is going to be the big talking point after the game. It's crossed the goal line, and then you see it, and it's like, no, Borian, fantastic save. Yeah, but I think I, I think I think number one, that shot might have been better if it was a better temperature. So again, the cold mm. probably helped a little bit. And I think, but I also think Borian would have moved a little bit faster if it was warmer as well. He seemed a little yeah. stiff during the whole game. Uh, there was yeah. one, a couple of points where he was holding onto his hamstring. Yeah, because he went down the Costa Rica game and then he went down in this and the commentators going on about, oh, this is great gamesmanship. They're doing it well. And I'm thinking, I think the cold tweaked his hamstring. I don't think he's deliberately doing this to let Canada no. regroup. Because why think- would you do it at the times that he chose to do it? And I think uh, I personally think that uh, and I'm 100% happy for Borian and everything like that. But I think Crippo uh, might have been a better on that save. Like he would have made it more convincing. And I don't think that ball even that a ball doesn't even get to that Mexican player. I think he would have cut it out. But to to put themselves into that position, it was so unnecessary. Like just to to be two one and to stoppage time and hanging on. I mean, as I said, credit to Mexico, they fought back superbly. But yeah. that's something Canada needs to work on. If you're taking any negatives from these performances, it's like they need to see out a game better and not put themselves in that kind of, of just fluster at the end. So last little bit to talk about, 
was the aggro. <laughs> what what I've loved about the Gold Cup game, the game in Mexico, and this one, is Mexico really look at Canada now as rivals. And the aggro that is existing between these two teams is superb. I had tweeted out, oh, what time do you think the mass bench-clearing brawl is going to be? And I thought probably somewhere around 72nd minute. Because um, that was a good time if Canada were leading. We had to wait probably to the 99th, although there was a few things building up to it. Of course, Lucas Cavallini in the thick of it. But if there's one guy you want to bring on to have a little bit of shithousery, is a guy that can speak Spanish, a guy that's played in Mexico, and a guy with Cava's temperament, because he's not going to take any shit. And, and, if, and, and to be honest, if he gets sent off, it's no big loss for the next game, if we're, if we're being brutally honest. But but the thing is, is with him as well, he earned that yellow card against that Mexican player, because as the Mexican player is going towards him, he jumps in the air. And so he makes that hit by him a lot worse than it was. And that earned a yellow card for the Mexican. So I think he earned that yellow card for Mexico there. Um, for me, I, I agree with you that it's good to see them have the heart as well. But I'd like to see them once in a while just turn away and and insult and insult Mexico even more by just walking away from them. Because Mexico wanted to start stuff. At, yeah, because you saw that at the end of the game. Because, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. a, a re- other refs would be handing out cards. And then you yeah. don't know how important that is coming down the line yeah. for second bookings, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. It was, uh, I've told this story, I think, before, but it was very, to me, very, very reminiscent of Germany-Argentina in 2006 quarterfinal at the World Cup. Germany beats Argentina in a shootout, and then Argentina incites a brawl in which Torsten Frings, kind of defending himself and his teammates, puts his hand out and catches a Argentine guy in the face, gets booked, doesn't play against Italy, in the semifinal, and Germany was lost without their anchor in midfield and lost that game in extra time. Yeah, and I felt the same kind of thing. Like Mexico knows we're defeated, but let's get some of the let's take some of their players out of future games. That's yeah, and I, 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 but I also like Canada to, to walk away from these things once in a while too. Yeah, and, yeah. and just and you, just you show had that it they, in this game, you had it with Panama as well, and you had it a little bit in Costa Rica too, if I'm not mistaken. Just there was just a little bit there, but it was more you're right in Panama and Mexico. That that's where it went overboard. But like, there's a couple of guys that are hotheads. Cavas, one of them. Richie Larea yeah, needs yeah. to take it down a bit because he just it's like red mist in front of him. He just gets so yeah. fired okay. up. And and Tejon Buchanan is a little bit too in that group as well. I would say. But what I did like at the end is like what well, I liked Milan going over there and basically yes. just shoving the guys out of the yeah, way. Yeah. Everyone out of there, yeah. yeah. But then the best thing they did was I can't remember who it was. Someone went over and then started Ging the fans up, and it's like that's what I you want to do. I think it was Vittoria. I saw Vittoria. I think it was. Snow in the yeah. Air. yeah, yeah. Because it's like you want to then just go over, celebrate with your fans, and uh, as you said, annoy Mexico even more by just walking yeah. away and just ignoring yeah. it. So I want to also uh, bring out a couple of dates and years that uh, have are pretty important for me. Like the, I think it's the first game they beat Mexico since the Gold Cup 2000, I believe. Oh. Right? That's probably I I don't recall them beating them. It was it's in only the semifinal. It's only their fifth all-time. Yeah, and 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 apparently it's their first qualifying win against Mexico since '76. Yeah. So it was October '76. So it was about four months after I was born, and that was cool. And then an, a one that's. I run. I checked to see the date because of this 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 game really. I uh, was wanted to see how far long it's been since this game. It's been nine years and one month exactly since they lost eight one to Honduras, which is probably their lowest point 
of probably uh, in a long time. Like I, I, w- I don't recall a low point like that in a long time. It, it happened on October 16th of oh. uh, uh, 2012. So I just wanted to like throw those dates out there that uh, it, it took a while, but they're kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're in a, in a place where we can kind of start mention stop mentioning that game in the future. Well, except Although, for the fact that the next game is away to Honduras. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. We'll bring it one more time. Yeah, I'm sure that will get brought up several times when yeah. John Herman's doing his media availability. So I, I just want to talk just quickly about a, a couple of the players. So we talked about Alistair Johnson, but Sam Adekugbe, for me, yeah. absolutely outstanding in these two games. He, I was going to say he became a man, but you know what I mean? It's like he... He was just phenomenal, and how his game has grown, and what being in Turkey, I think, has done for him, it's just fantastic to see. He's just got a swagger, a confidence, yeah. and I just love to see it. And and the thing is, him playing that left-back role, left-wing-back role, has freed up Alfonso Davies to play, not have to be stuck to that left side, and it, it kind of frees, so that's even more, that's just as valuable as his play. Um, the thing is, is what, what a long way road he's had is ever since he was almost lost his career w- with your diagnosis um, <laughs> on one of the shows before. Um, but uh, yeah, just I, you, you still go back to those days and Zach was there when they came down to the, um, uh, the Curva section and they were cheering on, I think it was Caleb Clark, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, yeah. on the pitch. And, then, and they were cheering him on uh, and, and they were, we let them. I think the the usher was gonna uh, go. Who are you guys? Why are you guys down here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said, Oh no, no, they're with us. They're with us. And so, yeah. um, so they were able to cheer. And I still remember those days. So it's it's a big long road for him, and obviously more to come. So happy for him, proud of Sam. Um, well, yeah, we've known him since, what, since he was like fifteen or fourteen or something, yeah. something like that. Um, so he, yeah, he put in a great performance. He. Uh, had the honor of leading the the Viking clap uh, after after the game uh, with the with the Voyageurs, which was uh, I thought fitting. Um, uh, I, yeah, so I'm I'm really happy for him. I, I think when we're talking about players, Michael, if we could for a moment, I think we need to talk about Alfonso Davies in these games. I know yeah. it's like he didn't contribute at all. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that he didn't contribute at all because I agree I agree with what Steve said. That I think is really important for the team is I think it's important in CONCACAF for him not to be shackled to to, to, to the left-back position or or left-wing-back position. Yes. Uh, I think we've seen in other games, obviously, the Panama one stands out, where he had the freedom to be up front and do stuff, um, or, sorry, create stuff. In these two games, I think the first game, there was uh, it felt a lot like his... Um, I felt a lot like there was just the pressure of the moment kind of over, not overcame him, but was didn't maybe, maybe didn't allow him to express his best. Um, Cause he was not super effective in that game. Now, obviously his Alfonso Davies, his pace, the pressuring you talked about the space he creates for other players. Those are all massively intangible things that are hugely important for Canada. And they were against Mexico as well. But again, we didn't get to see him, uh, we didn't get to see his uh, influence be decisive, I guess you could say. In this game, yeah. Yeah, in this in these two games, uh, and also what? one small thing is, I think, I think they need. I know they want in swinging corners, but I think they. Should, I don't know that he should be taking the corners anymore. But but the <laughs> thing is, that, that was one of the talking points in our section. But the thing is, you say that he wasn't uh, like uh, like out like the standout player. 
But isn't that a good thing for Canada? Yes. That he's yes. not a standout player and they still got six that. points on that. Yeah. And that's what I said to Kirk. Kirk was like, oh, I was a little disappointed he didn't score or he didn't. Whatever. I was like, but Kirk, just think about what that says about how good the rest of the team is and is becoming and can be together. And if that it's not, you can't just focus on one player, shut yeah. him down in the team. If you're going to be yeah. a serious player in the world game, actually in yeah. any game, it's like you can't just be a one-man team. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, for like for me, a friend of mine te- messaged me. I'll go. Oh, they said, "What formation are they playing?" I said, "They're playing three five one Davies." That's so okay. <laughs> Davies can play wherever he wants. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, he's the freedom of the city and the freedom of the pitch. But yeah, let's look at the standings because I never tired yes. of looking at this. No, keep looking at them. Canada first place, sixteen points from eight games, undefeated, and a goal difference of plus eight. USA second and 15, Mexico third and 14, Panama fourth and 14. Those four, they're breaking away. Obviously, things could happen still. Costa Rica fifth, Jamaica sixth, El Salvador seventh, Honduras eighth. Can I, can I ask you this one thing? Isn't yeah. it ironic that Honduras is eighth and Canada is one right now? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Do you feel, Steve... That a top four place at the very worst is now secured. I believe so. I don't think I. I, I haven't. I, I, one team I haven't looked at their schedule is Costa Rica. Um, in the next little bit, but they do have like they're kind of split three on the road and three at home. And their uh road one of their road games obviously against Mexico, but they got they're hosting Panama and Canada and the U.S. That's their three home games, and those are probably the three of the toughest home games. That they're going to have. Out of I guess thing. three so, three wins there would put them right back in it. It would put it would put it, but I don't I don't see them getting three wins out of those no. uh, out of those three home no. games against those three teams. So I, I I don't see them making the top four. I th- I see I almost see a split. Like you're right, it's split right now. Um, but I I think I I even think Canada with just a couple more wins and a couple more draws have a, ch- a chance for a top three. Easy. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, all they need. I'm very confident we're top three and we're going to Qatar. At the very worst, we've got a playoff because we, we finish fourth. Panama have been amazing. I think, I think the, as I mean, from a non Canadian perspective and a little bit from the Canadian perspective, one of the, the shocks of this qualifying or sorry, maybe disappointments of this uh, window in qualifying is how Honduras. Managed to collapse at home with a 2 0 lead in the 77th minute and lose 3 2 to Panama. Yeah, yeah. that was dev- if, th- if that had gone a draw the other way, a, win, a, a yeah. win for Honduras, Canada would be, I think, almost top three guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, that that just shows the fight that Panama's got just now. I watched the Jamaica US game, and Jamaica should have won that. They went behind early and then came storming back. and I can't remember, I think it was someone called Reed blasted over from inside the six-yard box. He's going to have nightmares about that because that could be the difference between them having a shot at maybe getting the fourth spot and just being on the outside looking in. But they can still be dangerous, but I think top four looks set. I There's no guarantee that Mexico or or the US are going to be top three either. You just need a few little slip ups along the yeah, way. Yeah, but I, I see them. I see them making it. I think. I think Mexico's top three for sure. US, you're right. They could collapse as well. Um, but Canada's in that same boat. 
like anything can happen in Concacaf, like we said. Yeah. Uh, but but for me, if like the next three games, if Canada can just pick up two wins out of those next three, uh, they're in a such a good great position yeah. at that point. So well, let's look at those. So it's away to Honduras, home to the U.S., away to El Salvador. Salvador yeah. So the one home game in the next window, and these are played end of January, start of February. So there's been a lot of chatter. U.S. game, BC place. New pitch getting installed in December. It's meant to be ready mid-January, just in time for the US game. So I'd sent a message to Zach at the start of last week. Actually, I think I put it in the group chat for, for both both you guys. Yeah. Um, saying, oh, I'm hearing some stuff from some American journalists that's been told, hold off booking flights to Vancouver. Blink if it's Jonathan Tenwald. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, okay. Although I'm pretty sure if I asked him, he would tell me the same thing. But journalists were being told, don't book flights to Vancouver yet because this is not a done deal that's going to be there. And the US is apparently holding out saying where they're playing their game before that to see if they want to be on the east or the west coast. So when when I heard that, I thought, oh, well, it's going to be at BMO Field in Toronto. And you know what? I didn't mind that for a couple of reasons. They've got under soil heating, so the pitch is good and it's a grass pitch, so it would be quality. It's a smaller stadium, so you're letting in less US fans, so I like that idea as well. So I was like, I, I don't mind that. And from a travel perspective, it's way better for being Honduras, Toronto, El Salvador. And from what I had been told, John Herdman was pushing for the game to be played in Toronto, or out east at least, and the CSA were more preferring it to, to be out here because there's a chance to make more money and it was a, a domed environment, etc., etc. Now, when you've got a manager, players, management team, whatever, saying, we want the game here, you listen to them no matter yeah. what and you go with that decision. I 100% agree. No ifs and buts. If that's what they want, that's what you do. But the word on the street today is, again, from US media, I think it was Stephen Goff, the second best golf in, in football in North America. Um, Hamilton, Tim Hortons Field, apparently is the place that's in the frame. That's what the word in the street is amongst American media just now, which well, I would a, find baffling. That's a bigger stadium, though, than I would believe. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that's the, well, we still want to get big fans in to make some money, but okay, we'll do what you want and have it out east. That's a terrible idea, I think. I would, I would, I would think Montreal would be a better option if you want to do that. But I don't know. It's, it's uh, I, I guess the, the the connection, the CPL connection with uh, the Forge is well, probably playing yes, better. Yes, the there. Hamilton force is strong. Yeah, that, that I wouldn't discount that. Here's the here's the deal. Um, Michael, you sent that message when I got was in Edmonton. Voyagers, uh, people within the Voyagers told me, "Oh no, no, it's going to be in Vancouver. Don't worry about it." Then. Um, uh, first off, uh, massive thank you, Michael, for um, uh, getting me uh, access to uh, to training with uh, going to Canadian. Uh, yeah, you Canadian picked a great training. day to go as well. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Thanks to uh, Richard, of course, and Brad and Dom and Sandra and Joe Guest. The CSA people, um, I have a lot of time for them and they've been really um, they've been really good to work with over the years. Let's put it that way. Um, and, um, so I was talking to the, to some of their people and what they've told me is that, or uh, this is 
a day or two before the game, the Mexico game, they told me is, is Michael, it's more about what you were saying before in terms of, um, uh, I don't know if it's like a, who's going to blink first or who has to blink first by this, by the rules. Um, but I don't, th- they are not going to, I think they're going to force the U S to announce where their game is first oh. before they announce. Oh, is that's my, interesting. Is my, is my understanding. So they are not going to, I was told it could go anywhere. It could go either way. It could go anywhere, but I'm pretty sure that they are going to within their rights, make, uh, not make an announcement until the U S have declared where their game is. Which would be interesting then that a lot of this chatter has come from U.S. media. So it's like yes. someone's planting little. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. If, if they can, if they can flip them, because the one advantage there to being Vancouver to Hamilton, that if if U.S. Um, does play on the East Coast, they essentially have to travel a similar amount. But if they play on the East Coast and they put the play the game in in, in Hamilton or Toronto, U.S. has a big advantage over the travel time and everything. So it might be a, like a little, you know, evening up there. Um, but can, can America announce, say, like, let's, let's just pick a place around. Let's just say they said New York and then yeah. we say Vancouver. Can they then say, oh, we've changed their mind. It's going to be Seattle. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, they're not sure about that either. But they, they have to, when you announce it, I think you have to announce it for, because the team has to travel there as well, right? And you yeah, can't c- keep changing Because it would also part. be crap if you've announced it and then folk have booked flights and then it's like, oh yeah, but we're changing it again. Yeah, I don't think you, I, I think once you announce it, it's it's set basically. Yeah, I don't think you, without some, you know, extern, extenuating circumstances, I don't think you would probably be allowed to, but uh, I, yeah. So this is the, this is the game, maybe it's a game of chicken or whatever you want to call it. Mm. This is what's I think being played right now. But I ultimately, I agree with you. I think we are all on the same page that these games should be where the players and coaches feel are best for them to get the results needed. It doesn't matter. This is World Cup qualifying. The, yeah. We don't have to parade yeah. the team around. Yeah, it's not a celebration tour, as no. John Herdman yeah. said after the game. This, and, and- this shouldn't be about the CSA making making money, although obviously we want them to make money. But the thing but the thing is about money is that you should remind the CSA if they make the World Cup, they're going to make a, plenty of money. There, exactly. and there, so, yeah. so don't worry they, about they it. They do have to pay all the fines for the pyrotechnics and the pitch invaders. Don't, don't well, worry about the short term. Worry about the long term. My, Michael, in the Mexico game, there was almost as much smoke on the opposite side of the stadium from Canada fans as there was in the supporter section. Huh. It, was, it was crazy. But you're right. They are going to get fined for each yeah. instance and each pitch invader. Can I just give you some some just fun little stories from behind the scenes? Sure. Um, so the 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 not. Do you remember? There's a guy named Matt Watson. Not not that Matt Watson. There's a oh. there's, there's a supporter named. Matt no, Watson. then. <laughs> okay, there's a supporter named Matt Watson. Um, Steve, you might remember he's from Curva Collective. Uh, him and his family have been coming out to games for for years, and um, his whole family made the trip. And um, I'll tell you these. <laughs> I'll tell you these stories in reverse order because the, the last one's the, the biggest one. Um, first off, they were on the flight home. Uh, I, uh, when they got home, I, I got a message from him saying, hey, we were at, at, at uh, YVR today and we got to see uh, Danielle. And he said Danielle was flying to Vancouver. It's the first time he's seen his dog in like a year or something. So it was, I thought you would appreciate that, Michael, as a dog lover. Yeah. Danielle's been away from his dog. Oh, that's tough for him. Yeah, but now reunited, I don't know for how long. Um, 
the next story is they were staying at the, the Watson family were staying at the same hotel as the Canadian national team. And after the Mexico win, Alfonso uh, was making a request for, I guess he had lost or forgot his room key at the front desk. And the person at the front desk asked for some, asked for some ID. As, as you would, it's sensible. And Matt, Wat- Matt Watson just said, um, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but the best, the, be- the best Watson family story is this. Matt, it was the four of them traveling. Now, Matt, out of principle or whatever, whenever he's traveling, he just he, he just says there's one person in the room, right? Like, a, you know, there's, you're allowed to have however many people and he gets to make sure there's enough beds for his family, whatever. So he had... Uh, he had this, he just on his booking, it had you know, Matt Watson one room. <clears throat> so he walked into the team hotel and he was wearing his Canada jacket. And um, uh, I think he just said, gave his name or whatever. And they're like, oh, Mr. Watson, Mr. Watson, we've been waiting for you. We're glad you're here. Excited you're here. And they took him to his room. He brought his family to his room. Um, they were all, they all took a nap or whatever. They were, they were relaxing. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, I, I don't know, he had, he had something in his ears because his family was loud or whatever, and they couldn't hear what was going on. But there was some commotion in the room, and so he took, he took, up, took his earbuds out or whatever um, as the family was trying to take a nap. And he's like, John Herdman, is that you? <laughs> and he, and he, goes, he goes out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Mark Watson is on the, the, the staff. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, go Mark Watson's room? They, they gave him Mark Watson's room. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious did, did they move him well he was like look john he was like look john my family's sleeping we're having a we're having a we're having a nap before the game we need... <laughs> we've got to be ready for this <laughs> <laughs> so did mark watson get his room back or no yes yes they they, they ended up moving um moving them to a, a very nice uh location in the, in the hotel but... i would hope so and they had lots of encounters in, uh, all over the hotel, connecting with players and stuff, which was fun for their did, kids. Did he say to Mark, I'm sorry about the stains on the sheet. They were there when I got there. <laughs> no, I don't believe he needed to. Okay. That's a, that's a nice way to end this segment. And it's a nice way to end the year. Canada being top of the octo. It's a great time for Canadian soccer. Can the Whitecaps add to that in the MLS playoffs? We'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've gone down under again. It's not the chats this time. It's a band called Mammal from their 2008 album, The Majority. And that was the first single released from it called Smash the Piñata. 
I'm sure there's a few piñatas smashed after that win against Mexico on Tuesday evening. But we're going to be moving on now from the international stage. We're going to be talking MLS and the Whitecaps for the rest of this show. Because it's playoff time, baby. And we've been doing this podcast since 2013. As far as I know, we're the longest running soccer podcast in Canada. I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. But March 2013, I think we do get that as in continuous and still going. In that time since 2013, we've had three playoff appearances to talk about. This one's going to be our fourth. It's the first time since 2017 that the Whitecaps have made the postseason. It's their fifth appearance in the playoffs altogether in the Whitecaps' 11 MLS seasons. They've played seven playoff matches in that time with one win. It's not a great record, but This is not your granddad's whitecaps. It's not even your older brother's whitecaps. Let's have a a quick recap of these previous appearances. 2012, one and done. 2-1 defeat, down in LA. Darren Mattox gave the Caps a 1-0 lead three minutes in. Then the Caps conceded two goals in a four-minute spell. And they were out. But it could have been so different, which is going to be a theme of this. Because Miller and Robson, the Scottish connection, balls it up and the Whitecaps were out. But after the terrible 2011, we were happy in some ways just to make the postseason. That also sounds familiar. 2014, again, one and done. Controversial, 2-1 loss in Dallas. Akindele had given Dallas a first half lead five minutes before the break, before E-Money himself Tied it up in the 64th minute, but then a penalty call on Kendall Waston in the 84th minute broke hearts, wasn't a penalty, and that was the days before VAR. So again, could have been so different. 2015, the season that still annoys me so much to this day. My first leg annoys me so much. Oh, yes. The Whitecaps had a first round bye. Best finish, second in the West. Set up a conference semi-final over two legs against Portland. Nil-nil, first leg, down in Piggy Park, because they sat back, they would not go for it. Then they shat the bed in the second leg, aided by an injury to Kakuta Mani. As we talked about in the last part, you can't just rely on one player, though. They lost that second leg 2-0, although the second goal did come in stoppage time. You you have to know that the first game, we've talked about this when we've run this in the past, the the cautiousness that they chose to to take for that opening leg in Portland was most um, noticeable in Gershon Kofi playing the 10 role. um, He's not a 10. In no, no I, way, I, shape, or form. No, no, and I've talked, we've talked yeah. to him about it many times after, and just he was just like felt like a duck out of water there. And it, I mean, they got a goalless draw, and it was just unfortunate that they couldn't get the job done at home yeah. because you Wait, would fancy away yourself, goals are so huge in the, know, at you, that time. But you would fancy yourself to be able to win, I think. At home I don't, I, I don't know because but Portland, Portland had just played Kansas City. Yeah, and they had—I I believe they had gone to double post extra time, oh, and they yes. gone to penalty kicks. Yes, yeah, double post. 
So they 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 they, they had been just playing like a hundred minutes. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't go after them uh, after that first leg, I was so I was so disappointed. I, I always fancied Portland to get the away an away goal in Vancouver. It's just whether we could get an extra goal more than them or not, and we didn't. So again, could have been so much more. Could have been so different. Made all the worse then by Portland winning it. And uh, yeah, but I mean, you talk the about ball being, was out of the ball was out of bounds. Yes, it's like Atiba Atiba was onside. The ball was out of bounds. Var 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 man. Yeah, if, if Var was around. Oh, yes, if I was around, 2014 would have been different. 2015 would have been different. Yeah. 2017, though, if you're talking about cautious approaches, that was another season of disappointment against Cascadian opposition and the last time we were in the playoffs. But we got our first playoff win ever and our only one with that 5-0 thrashing of San Jose. Montero, Waston, Teixeira and a Mosquito double got the business done. It was a near-perfect playoff performance then followed by a shocking display in a nil-nil board draw at home at Seattle where we showed nothing no intent nothing at all and Seattle were happy thinking yeah we'll win at home and they did they won 2-0 four days later another poor performance Clint Dempsey got a double ah it's called the deuce Michael yeah the deuce got a deuce and the Whitecaps laid a deuce so, so far, not so good when it comes to the postseason. But this feels like a much different Whitecap side. A side that's dynamic. A side that can fight back when they go behind. Their heads don't go down. They won't sit back. They can go on the road and, and get results. And we'll talk about the KC match in particular shortly. But... Steve, do you feel more confident about the team this time around, especially with it being a straight one knockout game? Because that does seem to fit Vanny Sartini's side and playing style right now. I feel more confident because of the coach that is willing to like go for the game and not sit back. Um, for that reason, I feel more confident. I still think Kansas City has, is the better team. Um, but overall, yeah, definitely... I have I have confidence that they're going to go for the win, essentially, that instead of just playing for and uh, like playing cautious. What about yourself, Zach? Do you feel this straight knockout style suits the way that this team can play? Well, I think any team when you're the lower seed fancies uh, fancies a one match uh, winner take all opportunity as opposed to aggregate over the over the two legs. So, uh, I. Yeah, so I think it 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 uh, there's an advantage for Vancouver that they don't have to play this over two legs. I think over two legs they don't really. I I I, I, I their chances would be lower for me over two legs. Um, the, the amazing thing is the fan base have been swept away with emotions. I don't know if it's also coming on the back of Canada or what, but they're just so confident just now, and this this is unusual. For Whitecaps fan base, I put out a tweet today saying, let us know how you're feeling. And I'll just quickly go through some of the replies. Danny Boy, I'm feeling great. Go Whitecaps. Oz Sweeney, KC is one of the toughest stadiums in the league to go to, but Vanny Sartini is a magician and he'll make it happen. Paul Leiburn, feeling good, Lewis. Ian Fisher, after last night, feeling good. Why not? Team of destiny. 
Arsenal. During the run to the playoffs, the Caps drew a lot on the road. They need to find a way to change that to win at home, draw away mindset. Uh, Greg Petrie, feeling good. And when Greg Petrie's feeling good, that's crazy. Not sure they'll win, but I do expect them to go there and try to win and not just sit in bunker for 90 minutes, which is radically different from multiple managers we've had now. Pudrin, I've never felt this optimistic before a playoff game and it's not all about the chance of winning, more the relief of watching things come together after five years of shuffling the deck. Joel Prosser, I feel hopeful. SKC is a good team, we're going into their stadiums, but the Caps are the hottest team in MLS. Cava looked better than he has in months during that cameo in Edmonton. That was a brief cameo. Hopefully everyone is healthy. He thinks 3-2, hopefully for the White Caps, but entertaining either way. And he said that this is basically house money that the White Caps are playing on because he doesn't think we'd make the playoffs at the start of the year with the border and new players. He didn't think they'd make it mid-season or even when MDS was fired. So roll the dice now, play our way, or at least under Sartini, take it to KC and force them to stop the hottest striker in MLS since August, Brian White, stop Ryan Gold and like the game at the Ice Teca. Just play aggressive, don't park the bus, don't go for penalty kicks. And last one, Dental Damnation. Most optimistic I've ever been for a Caps playoff game. They're playing with house money at this point, he also says. Actually, I, just one more. Rick Halland. I'm not going to whitewash it. We're going to be gold. No chance we're crippled in this one. But seriously, I think we've got a 50-50 shot. So I'm more <laughs> optimistic than most years. Um, the thing is, is, also with the single knockout, the last two years that it's been in place, no number one seed has made the uh, like the finals of mm-hmm. the MLS Cup out of the last two years. And if you, the the three years ago when they had, they did have like two legs in the conference semifinals and finals, but in the knockout round, it was just one leg. Three of the four games there were upsets, like the away team won. So there definitely is a lot of chances in single games, like Zach said before, that the, you, you get an upset in a game. I, I, I just love the, the format now. I think it's great. I, I, I'm confident. The fans are confident and optimistic. The players are confident and optimistic. And of course, Vanny Sertini is confident and optimistic. And I got a chance to sit down with Vanny today just to have a little bit of a preview for this game, what he's looking forward to, how itching he is to go, and whether he had any concerns that being away now might have killed some of the momentum that the Caps had heading into the postseason. Here's the gaffer. First thing really to ask Vanny is the the excitement from a, a couple of weeks ago clinching that playoff spot, dramatic last day. How how has it been for you in the week since? I imagine you were just wanting to get right back on the pitch and get right back at it, but obviously you, you've had this break. Well, yeah, it's like uh, you know uh, we we welcomed actually the two three days off right after the. But after the the game, but then after that, uh, uh, okay, we wanted this game to happen as fast as possible. Uh, the game that's going to happen Saturday, and and to be honest, I thought, okay, let's see how it's going to be the mood if I have to bring I have to bring up the energy. But I didn't have to do it because the players are all so 
I would say, excited in the right way. The Muda training is fantastic. Everyone is giving 100%. They are mm, trying to do everything that we ask them to do it. And the intensity is really good. So uh, uh, I think they're in a good place. And uh, I hope that uh, this excitement is going to... I Well, I actually think so. I believe that this excitement is going to stays in the right place till till Saturday. We are in a we are, I think we're in a good place to to compete to be honest. Now I, I don't know what your views are on like momentum in, in football and like how much stock you kind of put into that being something that's that's very, very important. Obviously the team going into the end of the season, they were flying two two losses in twenty one, the momentum was there. Sporting Kansas City, on the other hand, were up and down and they didn't maybe end the season great. Do you have any concerns at all that this break's going to kind of kill that momentum a little bit and maybe give them a chance to regroup? I had, not to kill the momentum, but I had the fact to say, okay, when they come back, I need to see if, okay, they're so happy and they so, I would say, satisfied just to get the playoff and not seeing them this hunger, but... uh, I I actually haven't seen it, seen that. I still see the fact that we want to go there. We want to try to win. We want to keep going in the playoff. So for our part, the momentum is still there. Uh, on the other side, maybe, maybe they it was better for them not playing immediately so they, they could regroup and, and work on something that uh, probably is not working at the moment. So... I would say that probably they, they get a little advantage on that, but uh, we didn't get out any disadvantage on that. I don't know if, if we can say like this. Yeah. I I mean, belief in the group, it, it's been so good for, for the last couple of months. When, when you look at where this group was when you took over and you look at the standings back in April, August... And I know, obviously, Mark and his team had had got them starting that run. But do you kind of have to pinch yourself a little bit just about how good the last two months has been? Yeah, they were very good. They were, I would say, I I said it in the the press conference right after the game. I think we did a miracle. So we were so behind and with a lot of teams to put behind us. And these teams kept winning and winning and winning. So it's, uh, I think we did a top job. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, we say every time uh, uh, we use this word, believe, momentum, but these things are, I don't want to say meaningless, but are just the consequence, not the reason of something. But the consequence of the fact that the players know what to do. There's a clear task for everyone. There's a clear way of playing that they want to do it. Then they build, and they really are full in. They bought, they bought in the way. And so, uh, when you have clarity, it's much more. It's it's so easy to get belief in something. Yeah, totally. And I, I think the other thing as well. This is a team. The, the there's no one really to fear in the West. They're all good teams. But yeah. you've gone away in the road, you've gone to tough places, you've got results. And I, I think Vancouver, with the style that you play and the fact that we, we, it's straight playoff knockout now, so it's no two-legged ties, 
that caginess that was maybe there in years past, that's all gone out the window. This playoff format feels like it suits a team like that you've built perfectly. Yeah, I would say that uh, we need to take advantage of the fact that uh, uh, we play against very good team and we just need to beat them once in order to to go to go through this, the the playoff. But then the, the other way around, we don't have to forget that if we lose Saturday, it's over. So uh, uh, what we need, so we need to approach the game in a way that is very, I would say, detached by by the result. We need, I say every time to the player, we need to focus on the process, on the first play, on the next play. But that's what we need to do during a game like in Kansas City and during the playoff because it, it doesn't have to be, okay, we score a goal or we concede a goal. Okay, no, boof, uh, forget it because it's like uh, we need to stay in the game 90 minutes because in the playoff, everything can happen. And uh, only if we stay in the game for 90 plus minutes, we'll have a chance to 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 win the games and to go to the next round. So I think that the trick is to really be concentrated and focused and uh, and being, uh, uh, I would say, 100% uh, switched on uh, on the game from the, from the first whistle till the end. Obviously, some of the players were away on international duty. Yeah. Max didn't play, Kava didn't play much. I, I watched Javain play against the US yesterday and he put in a really good shift. Is there any concerns? I know Edmonton's not that far away, but like with Javain coming back from Jamaica, of tiredness or not having a chance to, to work with the group? Or does everyone know their role so well that it doesn't really matter that they've been away? No, the the, the one that they work a lot with the group. So in terms of tactics, and we did, we're not going to change anything about tactics. So it's like uh, they're going to know. But I agree with you that we'll have to evaluate, uh, especially Javain, because he comes from... Uh, a long flight, and he will join the team directly in uh, in uh, in Kansas City on Thursday. So he will train with us only one time. So we'll we'll have to analyze if uh, if he's fit to play ninety minutes, if he's fit to play thirty minutes because he played ninety minutes yesterday, and then he has a long flight from Jamaica. So there's all the thing that we need to 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 look at, but uh, it's the thing that are normal in. Uh, uh, when you coach good teams, I'm happy that I have uh, players that go to the national team because it means that I coach good teams. So it's like uh, uh, they coach a good team. So it's it's okay to have this kind of problem. So last thing, you fly into KC. You've got a, a day training there, and then you've got the, the game on Saturday. What what's your pre-match preparation going to be like? Are you just going to be a ball of nervous energy? Are you going to get a chance to relax? Do you think? Are you just going to be awake all night? No, no, it's like, uh, you know, in Kansas City, there's a, uh, a big office of the uh, United States uh, Soccer Federation. So there's a lot of my former colleagues that are there. So I'm going to, I'm very happy that I'll be the chance to to meet some friends. And uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to be both. I'm going to be very nervous, of course, but uh, I'm a very, I'm, I'm also going to be easy and uh, social with persons and, and everything. I, I I like to distract myself the day of the game, especially that if I have some friend that I can meet to have a coffee or something, because the, at, mm, I think that the day, the day of the game, the less that I think about the game before the game, the better it is, because if not, it's going to just drain me energy and, and that's it. So I I will surely be 
nervous, but hopefully not too nervous. That's great. Thanks so much, Vanny, for your time and good luck on Saturday. Hopefully we see you back at training next week with a, another game to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yes. Thank you, Michael. That's see great. you soon. Thanks, Vanny. Bye. The gaffer, Vanny Sartini there, in confident mood. He is going to be fun to watch on the sidelines for, for this one. I hope they have a camera on him for the whole game and we, we can see it. We'll get our thoughts on the game in a sec. I, I'll just set it up for you guys though. So, KC finished third in the West on 58 points. Finished with a record of 17 wins, 7 draws, 10 defeats, 58 goals for, 40 against. At home, they've got a record of nine wins, five draws, and just three defeats. Whitecaps were sixth and 49, 12 wins, 13 draws, nine defeats, 45 goals for, 45 against. On the road, just the two wins, but they have got 10 draws. So, I mean, ultimately, they could just draw and go to penalties and hope for a lottery there, and just five defeats on the road as well. So, a good away record. The two meetings this season, the results have been split. In May, it was a very different Whitecaps team that went to KC. And KC won comfortably 3-0 at home. It was a very poor performance, one of the worst of the season. Saloe and a double from Polido did the damage. But then in October, a BC place, Caps won 2-1. All the goals in the first half. Gold and Tybert 2-0 up for the Caps. Johnny Russell made things a little bit more interesting. Form-wise, KC come into this one on the back of three straight defeats. They easily could have had the first seed and a first round bye, or at least finished second. Instead, they fell to third. Of those three defeats, they were away to Minnesota, away to, to Austin, and then that controversial loss to RSL, as we talked about before, that maybe they should have won that one. But before that little spell, they had four wins from their five games before that, with their only loss in that time coming to Vancouver. The Whitecaps are unbeaten in six. Three wins, three draws. They've only got two defeats in the last 22 games, and that goes back to mid-July. Both teams have informed players coming into this one. Brian White's got eight goals in nine games, and then he didn't score in his last two matches, but he did get an assist in each of them. On the KC side, Johnny Russell is hot. People can snip that, that's going to be our, our intro. We all know that I think Johnny Russell is hot. 12 goals in 12 games. That is a hot streak. Not enough to get yet into the Scotland team, but it's a hot streak. He didn't play the last game against RSL due to a knock. He will be back for this one. Daniel Saloui. He was on a tear. 16 goals and 8 assists in 30 games. It's his season total. But he only had one solitary assist to show over the last four games. So as KC went cold, so did Saloui. That assist though did come in Vancouver. Alan Polido. Steve's favourite player. Let's hope he doesn't like put him down this time because it just inspires him because <laughs> no, we no, know he, he listens to this show. He's a great player, great player. 
yeah, he's going to score a hat trick in this one. But but Toledo hasn't he hasn't played since August third, and he's had knee surgery. So you're thinking, oh, he's out for the season. Not so quick. Returned to training this week. He's got eight goals and three assists from his 21 games this season, which has been hit by injury and international call-up. But back in training, is expected to feature on Sunday. I don't think he's going to start. But those three players, Russell Polido and Saloui, they've combined for 10 goals against the Whitecaps in previous meetings. So let's get your thoughts on this one. In 11 MLS matches in Kansas City, KC's won seven. The Whitecaps have won twice. Two draws. What are you thinking, Steve? I'm thinking it's not going to be as bad as that game that was like six goals or something like that, that one, one year. Um, uh, I definitely don't think it's going to be that bad, but... I, I I could see honestly I I'm not trying to be optimistic here I, I honestly can see it going either way like I can see them I can see them pulling an upset because of Kansas City's uh, recent form I know they've had a couple of players that have been on tears and everything but overall the team has not played that well um uh, they, uh especially down that stretch like you could say that you know they should have won that RSL game but they should have won that RSL game early and oh, they yeah. shouldn't have left it that late to even lose that game. And even away to Minnesota, that was like we we kind of had them pegged to beat that game and and basically be at the top of the standings. Like I I, I personally going into this thing thought that it was Kansas City, Seattle, and then Colorado at the top as a top three, yeah. and it's it's kind of reversed that way. And so yeah, I I definitely see it uh, seeing it as a chance. I if I would say. That I would, if I would put a percentage on it, probably I'd go 60 40 for Kansas City at this point. I mean, in terms of form, Zach, so the Whitecaps are coming into this hot, but they've had uh, a two week break. So that can kill that a little bit. Kansas City coming in cold, but this gives them two weeks to regroup, get everyone healthy, get back working on what went wrong and getting back to olden ways. We're not going to know how it plays out until they take to the pitch on Saturday afternoon. But what's you thinking? Yeah, I see. I see a pathway to victory for the Whitecaps um, as the underdog. I see them being able to potentially counterpunch and you know hit KC on on, on the counterattack, uh, especially when you have a player like Gold and a hot striker like White and uh, some dynamic play from a player like Dahomey and. Possibly Kaiseido off the bench and that kind of stuff. And you're going to have a hopefully a fired up Cavallini wanting to maybe put himself in transfer windows and yeah, that too. Uh, although I think that's less of a factor. I think um, I think though, if I'm honest, I think that all the optimism from the coaching coaching staff, the players, and the fans, I think is going to lead to some disappointment. Because yeah. I, I really can't see Kansas City um, with all their experience and with all, if if they can get enough out of uh, Polito even off the bench, I, I can't see them not coming good uh, in this home playoff match. The, the thing is, you, you look at the Whitecaps record down there, but that all goes out the window for a couple of reasons. One, this isn't the kind of Whitecaps team that we've seen in the past, as we've talked yeah. about. 
But also, it's it's cup football, basically. It's knockout football. And a lot of things go out the window there. The pressure's on KC. They've got the home crowd behind them. Do the White Cat... It's the White Cat's best chance in this. And they've not been that successful, obviously, in scoring in the opening 15 minutes of match. There's, I think, one goal for the, the whole season. Should they come out all guns blazing and try and get ahead? I, or I, should they try and play counter? I think that they I think Kansas City is going to come out blazing because they, they have been off form. So I think it's more of Vancouver trying to uh, hold off on, on them and trying to like maybe maybe use the counter in those things, but definitely don't go all out blazing because it'll probably leave them very open at the back there. Mm. And I think the biggest factor for me in this game is not going to be gold or white. It's going to be Max Kerfo. And seeing if he can make the come up with the two, three big saves and keep the Whitecaps in contention. Uh, so for when they come out of the second half or during the second half, they can get that goal and that more important goal because uh, they got Tim Melia and um, no, is it Tim Melia? Yeah, yeah, it's Tim Melia in in Kansas City, and he's a, a top goalie too. So it's not going to be easy to beat him either. So it's just a matter of who, which goalkeeper makes that biggest save. I mean, right now, I I take. A draw over 120 minutes and go to penalties, and then it's a lottery. And I fancy Cripple to get a few stops, although Melia is also good at penalty stops, so that could be an interesting encounter. Didn't we lose to the Kansas City in penalties on in MLS? We did, back? but yeah. that was Hassal. That was Hassal in net. Yeah. Um, Javain Brown is obviously flying back from Jamaica off his own accord, and he I, I mentioned to Vanny there about it. And he said he's not going to have a chance to join the group in Vancouver. He's going to meet up with them in Kansas City. So he's going to have one day's training session with the team, which obviously isn't ideal. But defensively, what would you like to see? It's going to be a flat back three. Yeah, I I, I would say, uh, I honestly, I, I would want to go with the strongest one, which has been Ranko, Youngworth and Jake. Um, I know Godoy is probably the, uh, like, I don't know how healthy he is, is. I don't think he's pulled something coming out of the bathtub recently or something like that. So I, I would, I would stick with that back three and, and then have, I think they're going to go with Gaspar and, uh, uh Gutierrez. Gutierrez on the wings, uh, for the, uh, the fullbacks or the wingbacks. I think an exciting thing, if you look at that is you've got, then you could bring Brown off the bench. You've got Cava off the bench. You've got um, Caicedo probably off the bench as well. So, I mean, all of that, I think, just works great for the Whitecaps because we've seen it so often in the past that we just don't have difference makers on the bench. But it feels like we've got that now. And they've also shown that even if they fall behind, they can come back in matches and they can get results on the road. So... All in all, I'm very excited about this. And it might be that I've been swept away in all this optimism as well. And it does... I mean, as Zach says, it's, it's going to feel disappointing, which is kind of crazy when you look at where this team was at the start of August, bottom of the West, that uh, you're talking yeah. about, oh, if they don't get through this playoff game, it's going to be a disappointing end to the season. But, but, but honestly, that's what that's they've a, done. But that's actually a positive as well for this team, that they have created this season where... You can be disappointed at a first round loss to Kansas City on the road. That's actually a positive for me, especially considering how they turned it around. Yeah, that's pretty fair to see. 
let's just wind this part up then with some quick predictions. Who have you got, Steve? What's the score? Do they get through to the next round? I'll say uh, 2-1 Kansas City. I'll go 3-1 Kansas City. Oh, I'm actually going 2-1 Whitecaps. Ooh. It's a good thing we didn't sweep. Otherwise, if but if we swept Kansas City, Vancouver probably had a better chance mm. with our predictions. Uh, we won't go into any of the other things. We'll talk about that in the weekend show. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I love cup football. I've been watching all the FA Cup stuff. I've been watching the Australian FA Cup as well. So let's just hope they do themselves proud. And if it doesn't work out, I hope they're not too disappointed because getting to this stage is absolutely fantastic. I think they've got a lot more in them. As that earlier tweet said, the team of destiny. Let's see if they can do it. But we're not finished talking white caps. We're going to be back chatting with the guy that could be the difference maker on Saturday. Star striker, leading scorer, golden boot winner, Brian White. We'll be back chatting with him after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN from Jersey City, New Jersey, Crazy in the Brains. And that is a song taken from their 2013 debut album, Let Me Go. And that was Mexico. Now, some of you probably think that We just throw this show together on a whim and uh, there's not really much planning involved in it. And sometimes, yeah, that is the case. Sometimes, though, especially around the musical side of things, I do like to plan things meticulously, which is exactly why we have Crazy in the Brains as this month's Artist of the Month. Partly because they're from Jersey, And obviously Brian White has been lighting it up for the Whitecaps in the last few weeks. A good old Jersey boy. Also, I knew they had a song called Mexico. And with Canada playing Mexico, it just seemed that everything was going to be coming together to make them Artist of the Month for November. And it has proven to be the case. Because not only have Canada now beaten up the Mexicans and taken top spot in the octo 
heading into 2022 in their quest for Qatar. But Brian White's goals for the Whitecaps has spurred them into the playoffs. 12 goals now for White in his 26 appearances with the Whitecaps. He's been a tremendous addition to the team since he came in. First couple of games, struggled to maybe find his feet, but finished the season by making the the striking position his own. He is now the starting striker for this club. An exciting prospect, a player we're delighted to have here and very exciting as to what he's going to mean to this team in the playoffs and also beyond going into next year. And I, I think... When he first signed, when when MDS brought him here, we we spoke about it on the show, that he was a a player that he scored at all levels. He scored in his youth career. He scored at PDL. He scored in USL. He scored in MLS. So he is a guy that knows the the back of the net. And just with Ryan Gold coming in and his link-up play with Christian Dahomey, Diber Caicedo, Gold as well. The four of them have just been such a joy to watch for, for the Whitecaps down the, the stretch of the regular season. So hopefully they can continue this now into the playoffs and the Whitecaps won't just be one and done. So I got a chance to sit down with Brian on Wednesday just to, to chat about his, his journey to Vancouver, growing up in New Jersey, playing his youth football there, been involved with the Red Bulls organisation since 2015 and a lot more besides. So go put the kettle on, make your hot beverage a choice, grab a chocolate digestive and sit back and enjoy our feature interview for this episode as we sit down with the Whitecaps star striker, Brian White. So thank you so much for for joining us to, today, Brian. Obviously, you're excited for the the big game that's coming up, the playoffs at, at the weekend. How how's your kind of week off been? Have you had a, a chance to decompress much from from the big playoff winning game? Yeah, it's been a, it's been nice to have a couple of days off, uh, kind of get away from the game a little bit, just to reset the batteries. Uh, my girlfriend's been out here, so it's been nice to have her here with me too. So it's been a nice little break from from the games and. The hectic schedule and just getting ready for the, the playoff game at Sporting. Is she here permanently just now, or is she just visiting you just now? Just, just visiting. Um, so, probably what I do in this is take you way back to your, your football roots and your journey to Vancouver up to now. So, obviously, you grew up in Flemington, New Jersey. Where did your love of the game come from? What, what age did you kind of start playing there? Yeah, I think my mom put me into like a rec soccer league when I was like four or five. And, um, you know, I, as a young kid, they try to get me in all the sports just to see what I like the best. And soccer was always the one where I just kept going up the up the level through the years. And for me, it just never got boring. I never got tired of it like I did some of the other sports. So it's something I just I love doing from a young age and just stuck with all the way through. I mean, what was it like? playing soccer there I mean obviously when folk think of New Jersey I mean there's the Red Bulls who are really the New Jersey Red Bulls I've never understood why they're called New York Red Bulls but well hey the Giants and the Jets play in New Jersey too yeah so I mean that's what folk I guess more think of sports wise is those two teams and 
what was it like being like playing soccer? Was it is there a big soccer community there? Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a huge soccer community in New Jersey, especially where the stadium is and in Newark and Ironbound areas. You know, it's a great soccer community, and um, I think it's you know the the prime days when the team was flying and when we had like Bradley Wright Phillips, Luis Robles, Tyler Adams, like these kind of players. I think the the atmosphere was electric and it was a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, it's been a weird couple of years recently with COVID and team not doing as well at the standard, I guess, which the club likes to set its level. So uh, it might be a little bit different now. But for the most part, it's, they have great support. It's a great soccer area, too. Now, you came through playing your youth soccer with the, the Players Development Academy, which is a, a team I, I've known a lot or seen their name a lot when it comes to like the USSDA playoffs over the years because Whitecaps <laughs> have played them a couple of times and they're, they're always a, a club that makes it there. What, what was it like playing your youth soccer with them and like how how much did that teach you with what your game is now? Yeah, for me, I think it was one of the biggest influences in my soccer career because I was there from when I was um, probably like 10, around 10 years old to when I left for college at 18. So I built relationships with coaches, with players, and, um, you know, coaches I still speak to now on a regular basis, just as mentors. And so for me, I think the club helped a lot. And it's obviously it's not an MLS club, and uh, it's a little bit of a smaller academy in terms of competing against these teams that have, you know, the MLS academy system. So it's tough. But I think you'll find that they have great players, great coaches that just are able to get the best out of, out of their players. And Obviously, the team still does very well when it comes to competing against MLS academies. So at what age were you when you realized you had what it took to, to become a professional footballer? Um, I think I always, you know, I always dreamed of becoming a professional soccer player. And I think, you know, sometimes it, it never really seemed like sometimes to me, it kind of seemed like kind of always a dream. Never really clicked that, you know, it was going to happen, I guess, until... Uh, maybe towards the end of my like college career where I was like, this is okay. This is going to happen. I always felt like I could make it happen, but I never really like accepted that, you know, like I've made, I never had that feeling of it's going to happen right away. Like it's, this is going to happen. It's like the next stage. It was always something I was dreaming, dreaming of and chasing after. I mean, the decision to go to Duke, uh, did you have a chance or did you think about turning pro or was, was college the, the way that you always wanted to go then? Cause you maybe weren't sure that this was going to be your future career? Yeah, it was a little, pretty much, I never really looked at other avenues in terms of going pro out of high school. Um, for me and my family, it was very important that I went to school and got that, that education. That's why I ended up picking Duke at the end of the day. But for me, I think it was important that I went to, to Duke and played that college soccer because I think it's a different kind of experience. Um, maybe it's not for all you know players that, that are striving to become professionals. But for me, I think it was the perfect uh, situation. Your time at Duke, I, I had a look at your stats on the, on the site last night. So they had you listed as a midfielder, but I know mm. in your last year, it said that you played as a striker. So did you go into Duke as a midfielder originally? So when Duke first, when the recruiting started with Duke, um, there was like, you know, the USDA rules where they, you can't play high school soccer. Yeah. So I, that started. So it was like my sophomore, junior year. I was in, I was with the young, the 16, 17s, the 17s, 18s had a bunch of kids that went to St. Benedict's, which is a private school in Newark. 
So they had to play for that team because that's how they got their scholarship. And there were a lot of uh, international students. So they would play there. So I'd have to play up with the, the older group. And I was playing outside back at the time for them. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when, when the recruiting first started, they saw me playing outside back. So when I went to Duke my freshman year, I was like in the midfield, sometimes forward, I had spent some time at outside back. So I was kind of moved around a lot my first year or two there until I finally settled in where I'm most comfortable up front. Now, your, your time at Duke, you were there with a, a friend of the show, a guy that we've known from when he was in the residency years ago, Brody Hutama. Mm-hmm. And how, what, what was your, your time at, at Duke like? Like looking at your stats here, 23 goals, 11 assists, 73 games. How did that shape the player that you are now? Yeah, I think um, being, being moved around, playing different positions, seeing the game from different areas, I think was a big learning experience, a bit of a learning curve too, in terms of dealing with some of the issues in my game. In term- when I played outside back, it wasn't the most natural position and playing out wide isn't my most natural position. So learning from those experiences, going through the, you know, the mishaps and the failures and things I would do wrong there and kind of just, you know, learning from those experiences and adding it to my game. When when you were at Duke, like so many of the college players, you you played in in the PDL and it it was New York Red Bulls under twenty three team. Now, how did they? How did you come on their radar? Because obviously, there's so many PDL teams, there's so many options for the college guys, but that got you into their system, I guess. So, how did you kind of come on onto their radar? Um. I think part of it was just growing up at PDA, playing against Red Bull uh, a lot as, at a younger age. And um, I had one of my PDA coaches also reach out, I had my Duke coach reach out to, to the Red Bulls and see if they would allow me to you know, play with their team uh, for the summers. In, in the PDL, you were banging the goals in and then obviously that brought you to the attention of Red Bulls management and they, they picked you in the super draft. So March 15th, 2018, you signed your pro contract with Red Bulls too, and then two days later made your, your pro debut against TFC too. What's your memories of that time? That must just have been like a whirlwind couple of days for you. Yeah, um, well, you know, through the preseason, you know, it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience kind of adjusting to the level, the speed, the physicality of like the professional game. And then you know, through the, we do like two camps, one in uh, Florida, one in Arizona. So I kind of, I knew I was going to, I was going to end up with the second team. So it was just a matter of finalizing that paperwork and then coming to the game. So those last couple of days weren't really uh, as much of a whirlwind as it may seem, but the initial intro to the preseason with the first team was, that was a lot. Yeah, I know when we've spoken to the draft guys here, it's a big adjustment for a lot of them at first, especially the pace of the game and, you've gone from playing youth guys to, to, to adult guys. But I mean, the, the week after you make your debut, you get your, your first pro goal. So what's your memory of that one? Well, I remember the TFC game, I missed a hundred. It felt like a hundred chances. Lots of, I was like, I don't know what's happening. It might just be jitters, but thankfully I was able to get this, you know, there's, I think it was the next game at Atlanta where I was able to get my first goal. I, I always say though, like the best strikers, it's, you can, miss like nine chances on a game but it's the one that you get that's the one that everyone talks about so i mean so you're buying the goals in at usl level so that got you 
the MLS deal, which she signed on August 4th, 2018. You'd got eight goals, five assists in, in the games that you'd played to that point. How were you feeling at, at that time? Did you believe then, yeah, I've definitely got what it takes now to, to make it in the game? Or I know that that's not you made it because you've still got to, to yeah. do it, but did you start thinking, I think this could be my career now? Yeah, I th- once I, you know, to be fair, once I got drafted, I wanted to make it, you know, my career, and that was always the goal. And then when I signed with the first team, it was, uh, I knew it was going to be a bit of a learning year in terms because we had Bradley Red Phillips, who was, you know, one of the top scorers in the league. And so for me, I was excited to have the opportunity to kind of be even more uh, involved with the first team and train behind them, see him play, and learn everything I can from him. So it was for me, it was exciting to be able to, you know, learn from him a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, he's like he came over here. He was kind of a known name over in England, obviously because of who his dad is as well. But he just lit it up here. What What was his message to you? What kind of stuff did did he teach you? I think yeah, because we I think we're pretty similar in terms of the way we play the you know the center forward position. So we we talk about different kinds of shots you can take, when to turn, when to lay it off different runs so every little like nuance to the center forward position that we spoke a lot about so for it was great to kind of have his you know perspective on it and I just I was like a sponge just trying to soak everything up yeah I I can imagine like learning off someone like him must have been fantastic and I mean you got your first MLS goal just a couple of weeks after signing the contract couldn't have been better as well a match winner what what was your memories of that day and did you have like family there watching you? Yeah, well, I remember the day I was beyond. I was so nervous. I was, I couldn't. I don't know. I was, had so many jitters. I hadn't had nerves like that in the longest time. And uh, and then you get to the field. Obviously, you kind of let it all go. And for me, it was it was awesome because the side that I had scored on was to the right in the corner was where like my family and my friends were. So I scored and then jumped, like the team was warming up there. So I had the team there. I had my family and friends there. So it was like an awesome little uh, experience to have them there and share those moments with them. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, growing up in New Jersey, what did it mean to you to, to play for your hometown team? I'm sure you've been asked that so many times over the years, but I mean, how special was it? Yeah, it was special because, you know, the first year I lived at home at my mom's house. And then, you know, I would, it's, I lived, when I moved out, I was just an hour away from my hometown. All my friends from school lived in the city. My best friend was living with me in Jersey City from high school. So it was, it was awesome just kind of be comfortable and enjoy, like, the dream I had chased for so long in the, in the state I was comfortable with, with the people I know my whole life. So it was, it was an awesome experience. So having been involved in with a team since 2015, really, from the under-23s up. When Vancouver came in for you, mm-hmm. first of all, I, I know it's MLS, so not all players have the choice, but did, did the Red Bulls speak to you about whether you wanted this move or was it done without? Yeah, there, there was I didn't have any uh, part of any discussions with the right. Red Bull management. Yeah, that always puzzles me. Like, we've spoken to some players over the years. Like, we signed Evan Bush last year from Montreal, and Montreal sat him down and said, look, they're interested in you. Do you want to go? It's just crazy to me. So what were your emotions like then when you found out, okay, six years here, you're away now? 
Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a shock just because it was the final day of the um of the the window. I had it was like a there was like a little bit of international break, right? In that window? I think so. Yeah. So we had the week, we had like four, three or four days off. I'd gone down the shore with my girlfriend and her friends, and I'd come back early for a second team game. So we were playing on a Wednesday. I went to training Tuesday. I got home, get a call from my agent saying that Vancouver's going to trade for you tonight. I was like, I wish I didn't know it was coming. I was like, oh, all right. A couple minutes later, I was on the phone with the Red Bull GM. A couple minutes after that, I was on the phone with Mark. So it all happened like really fast. It was, you know, I kind of knew the writing was on the wall at Red Bull that I wasn't fitting in with the new staff. Um, so yeah, it was it was a little bit of a shock, but it was an exciting opportunity for me to experience something new, move teams, and uh, see if I could you know bring my game up again. And uh, I mean, it must the, your first couple of months. I can only imagine how weird it was. So if you're not even in Vancouver. You're not even in in Canada. You're staying in a complex in Utah. You finally get home and then the head coach that brought you here gets sacked. I mean, what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, it was, you know, the, the Salt Lake part, then to Vancouver was always going to be difficult just because you're moving, but you're not actually moving yet. You're just stopping by. So that part was obviously difficult. And then finally being able to settle down was nice. But then obviously the coaching change happened. And yeah, it was me and Mark had a good relationship as brief as it was, uh, you know, I'm forever thankful that he brought me here and allowed me to, you know, really kind of just toss me into the team. I was playing a lot. So I'll always be grateful for that. And I think that helped me develop the kind of confidence of flow that, you know, led me to the, the form I'm in now. It's, I mean, football and the way that stuff plays out, it's always so interesting because initially we'd got a draft pick, David Egbo, and, when Mark drafted him, he was like, well, this is the guy that we're probably going to rely on when Kava goes away with Canada. And then things didn't quite work out with him, so they, they had to get another striker in. And now you've finished the season as the, the starter. You're in the form of your life. When you look back at how things have worked out, I mean, just how, how do you view it all? Is it just something that was meant to be? Yeah, I kind of feel that way. Like just being able to kind of find my form, score a lot of goal, score a lot of goals, and you know help the team make the playoffs. So it's been kind of a, a dream end to the start. You know what I mean? Because obviously the first couple of months weren't great, and now we're starting to uh, everything's kind of coming together. So it's been you know a great run so far. I'm just look, excited to see what you know the future the future holds. Yeah, just to to finish off then, like just talking about that, and I know you've been asked this a lot, but yeah, you're in the form of your life. It's hard to pinpoint exactly, I'm sure, what's unlocked it. You've got good players around you, but you had good players around you at Red Bulls. I watched the, the interview that you did with the, what was it, the call-up? And yeah. you were talking about, it's just the style of play that Vancouver's got, especially under Vanny, just seems to, to fit you perfectly. What is it in particular, do you think, about the style of play that just suits your game so well? I think it's a lot of that has to do with the the free flowing movement that he lets me, Ryan and Daja or Daybear have up front where I think at, at Red Bulls after after 2019, we had kind of changed the system where it was in behind and behind run, run, run. Now I think there's there's freedom to kind of move off of Ryan's movement, check to the ball here or go in behind there. You know, you have the free we have the freedom to kind of feel the game more. 
um, and not just be, you know, robots. We read each other's movements. And so I think that's allowed me to kind of feel comfortable and be able to play the game. You know, I think is best for me and can help the team. And with the form that you've been in, like we talked about it on the show and I don't know, maybe it was a bit pie in the sky, but I, I always believe at international level, you should call up the guys that's in form. So in my case, I'm from Scotland. I thought Johnny Russell should have gone over because he's banging the goals in for KC and probably Ryan as well. Did you think at any point, look, I'm scoring here. Maybe the US national team will give me a call or bring me into the camp at least? Um, to be honest, no, not really. I know there's a lot of young, you know, solid forwards that they have that they're excited about, players that are playing over in Europe. Um, so, yeah, if it happens, obviously I'll be more than, more than excited to, you know, embrace that opportunity. But for me, it's not really something I'm, I'm too focused on. Um, for me, it's all about just get hoping or seeing how far I can get the team in the playoffs and seeing the run we could go on. So that's, you know, what I'm focused on. And, you know, if I get a call up, then, yeah, obviously uh, I'll appreciate that moment and do everything I can to really do my best at, at a camp. But for me, it's, that's not the, the main focus. So looking ahead to the the weekend then, what what are you expecting from this game in KC? Obviously, you've just played them here. This is a whole different ball game because you're on their turf. I spoke to Vanny this morning and he said he, he was a bit worried that with the gap, maybe the team would come back a little bit flat or felt the job's kind of partly done. But he says everyone is so up for this. And it, it does feel like you could be any one of these teams in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, I think I think all the guys are excited. Obviously, we're excited again in the playoffs, and now we're excited to embrace this opportunity. But we know it's going to – obviously, going to Sporting Kansas City for a playoff game is never going to be easy. But, you know, the history that they have is being such a great club with such great players. So, we know it's going to be a challenge. We know their fans are going to be up for it. But, you know, I think no one on our team is scared of the moment. I think we're all just more excited to – to, you know, be the underdogs, do what we can do to, you know, get it out of there with a win. And just to, to finish up, on our show, we have an artist of the month every month. So mm-hmm. because I'd planned to speak to you this month, I went for a jersey band that I like. I'm hoping you've heard of them. I'm going to say you've probably not. They're yeah. a, a xylophone punk band called Crazy in the Brains. Can't, can't do you know who they are? All right. No. <laughs> <laughs> you should check them out. They're they're really good. They're from Jersey City. So okay. I, I thought I'm saving it for when we get you on the show. But yeah, <laughs> check them out. I will. Thank you for joining us today, Brian. All the best at the weekend. Hopefully it's not the the last game of the season. There's a plenty more to come. But it's been a pleasure watching you the, la- the last few weeks and months. Thank you. Appreciate that. Brian White there, chatting about his career, his journey to Vancouver, and he's been a revelation this season since he joined the team. He has been a player that scored everywhere that he's played football, all the different levels, and yeah, it was a bit of a shaky start, but then he's found his feet, and I guess the big question, Steve, is the pressure then is on him to keep this going and really it is unsustainable to be scoring at the rate that he's going but not even so much in the playoffs what are you expecting from 
Brian White next season. Is he the guy that's going to lead the team? We've talked about this before. Do you splash the cash and bring in a main striker? Or do you bring in not as much cash splashed to bring an equal to him and have them battle it out? No, I I think like um I, I I think that if they do uh if Cavallini is on his way out in a transfer, that I do think they need to bring somebody else in. For me, Brian White, if he can actually score like like uh, what is he at 12 goals for the yeah. season or something like that? If he can score that over a full season, that's fine. I'm happy with that. He doesn't need to like he scored this in a short window. If he can score that over a full season, that's that's acceptable for what I expect from him. So uh, 12 to 13 goals is is fine, and that's and, but they do need it to bring in a striker who can provide uh, more goals and or more playmaking ability up top and kind of combine with him and Gold. Yeah, I think that um, he's done exceptionally well in 2021. I just don't see him being like a guy who keeps this up for like year after year after year. And I think the Vancouver Whitecaps had ambition. They need to bring in um, someone who will, uh, who he would, White would have to fight with for minutes as opposed to the other way around. I think Lucas Cavallini is a significant part of this equation. I, I don't think Vancouver would like to keep him any longer no i mean there's uh, rumors this week that he might go back to mexico yeah so i saw that um so i i i think his departure or sorry his potential departure will really shape the kind of player that they bring in like steve sort of mentioned but i think if you're a club of ambition you have to bring in someone whose um potential and not just in a video game is better than brian white's if you if you really want to want to go far, um, I, I honestly I see this year and, and over the next two three years four years I I'm happy to be proven wrong but I see this year as more an anomaly for for Brian White um, uh, as opposed to something he's going to replicate year after year after year after year in MLS. I'd like them to bring in a, another top striker and go with the the two strikers formation and. Yeah, I'm old-fashioned. I like a two-striker system. I always think back to Blackburn when they won the Premier League and they had Sutton and Shearer, the SAS. SAS. Yeah. We need to sign a striker that surname begins with A. So it's him and White, so it'd be A and W. Get the sponsorship <laughs> in there, get some free onion rings when they bang the goals in. It would work fantastically. But I, I think... But- Brian's just been fantastic for us this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I think the type of striker they need, and I'm not saying to get this particular striker, I'm saying this type of striker is a guy like a Ra- Raul Ruiz type to go with uh, Brian White. <laughs> Why? No, I'm not saying bring him in. Who I, wouldn't want Raul Ruiz? Fernando Adi. There's our A. Adi and White, A and W. That could work. Are you hungry, Michael? I am a little bit, yeah. Um... Yeah, so well done, Brian. Let's hope we can keep it going into the playoffs and beyond. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Of course it's not. We've still got Wavelength to bring you. And I can't believe I'm doing this. This this is the kind of good mood that I am in. I'm playing... I must be misreading this. Yeah, I'm playing an, an England World Cup song. A celebration of Canada 
reaching Qatar. Yeah, I've called it. Have you surrendered your passport? Uh, no, I was going to say no surrender, but when you're talking about England fans, that takes it all on a whole different connotation. But th- this is a song from 2006. It was the official England World Cup song from a band called Embrace, who I, I like the band. I've got a few of their early albums. This was from their fifth studio album, This New Day. This is a song which I think is very apt for both Canada and the Whitecaps for the way that they're playing just now. This is World at Your Feet. You're the first in my life to make me think that we might just go all the way and I want you to know we're all hanging on They'll come and yes they'll try to break us down but we know that we'll never lose if we keep moving forward
Embrace there from 2006, World at Your Feet. That's certainly what the Canadian guys have got just now. And fingers crossed, that's what we'll be saying about the Whitecaps after Saturday's game in KC as well. But that really is it now for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go, Steve, where can folk find you online? Any final thoughts or anything that you've learned this week? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And uh, just a bit of advice, in addition to not eating yellow snow, don't get hit by yellow snowballs. Um, for, for me, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Zachary M. Uh, as Michael published an article recently, I'm a part of a, um, trying to bring the CPL club to the Fraser Valley, so part of Fraser Valley Fanatics. Which we will be talking about either on the next show or the show after, so don't worry, we have not no, ignored yeah. that. No, no, no worries. Um, and um, I forgot to mention Chris Withers. Was that the game? It was good to see Chris. <laughs> He's still on his list. It's like Santa. And um, I'm just, I know I'm leaving someone out, but um, I also just, yeah, big shout out to uh, to Jamie and Rob um, who were, you know, for the Voyagers. Also, there's Kristen is heavily involved and there's other people. Um, if I want to give a shout out to somebody at the Edmonton game, I want to give a shout out to that usher that almost was crushed by the supporters. Oh, I, oh, I want to give a I, shout I, out to the guy that tackled the pitch invader and sent him through that barrier. That yeah. was fantastic. At, at the end of the Mexico game, the the usher in our house said, I appreciate all the kind things you guys have been saying about me this game. We're like, what? He's like, my name's Alfonso. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, the Voyagers and all the hard work that's gone on and as the, you know, with all the, the new membership drive, which is at like, I don't know, 18 or 1900 people and um, just reinvigorating and re-engaging the support uh, across the country heading towards 2026 and hopefully 2022 has been, just been really encouraging um and uh, the last two shout outs nikki Cotty. i didn't get to meet nikki she's from the red river red river rising for valor um so but shout outs for people you didn't meet oh well, yeah <laughs> oh no this is gonna be a three-hour podcast and, and um, i was gonna edit all the names earlier i can't now he's still going uh, James Covey from Halifax. It was great to finally meet James. And last one, Steve from from Calgary, Craig McTavish. Oh, cool. Oh. No, not, not the ice hockey player. He's a oh. from, from okay. The, I thought it was the ice hockey player. Foot soldiers. <laughs> okay. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Uh, you can read all our stuff away from the numbers AFTN.ca. If you haven't subscribed to our extra podcasts, make sure you do that. It's only $3 a month, $30 a year, and we're going to have a few more out before the end of the year because there's so much stuff to cover. Hoping to bring another one out on Friday uh, for the CPL playoffs that get underway this weekend. We'll be covering that as well in the next show. A couple of things I learned. One, Zach is a longer list than Santa. And it's, it's simple, really. Four words. No Scotland, no party. No, Scotland, no party. We're going to Qatar as well. It's not just you Canadian boys. Thank you for listening as always. We will be back soon. Stay safe. Take care. Mon the caps. And Ali la rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
Et...